deep. Zenobia came out to drink. She brought her girl Lenny, and she drank some too. And we about to bring some movie facts to you. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Cocktails. And I am the dirty mouth, pimp dressing, afro wearing, motherfucker, Zenobia. <laughs> You know, I've, I've got that style, and I've got that class, and I've got the best-shaped ass. <laughs> I'm catching the eye of all the fellas and the honeys always hustling these streets and making them monies. Ooh. So Lenny here, and I'm not going to quit, so why not go ahead and put some weight on it? Oh! oh. <laughs> put your weight on it! Ooh, don't mind. Give it oh to my God. me! Like, we did not plan this rhyming shit, but we, like, we just went into this. Like We did. (laughs) I love it. All right. So here on Lights Camera Cocktails. Cocktails. We pair amazing cocktails with amazing movies. Movies. And tonight (laughs) is no different. Uh, No, tonight's definitely different because it is amazing. Yes. Amazing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm still blown away about this. Go ahead, Z. You you tell these people if they haven't guessed already about this movie, because it was so good. Oh, my God. Okay, so if you didn't guess by our intro what movie, <laughs> or looking at the title that you have clicked on, then, yes, <laughs> you, then you would know that we are watching Dolomite Is My Name. Dolomite Is My Name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. I... Pick this one for our last Black History Month movie. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to drink. Oh, I'm fucking ready to drink, my lady. Okay. My sweet, beautiful lady. My I'm, big booby lady. I'm ready to drink. Yeah, let's get our drink on. And so the drink that we are drinking tonight is called Between the Sheets. Ooh, and what do, happens do, in do, between do. the sheets? Boom, Ow. boom, in between the sheets. Well, ah, yeah. So I got this cocktail out of a Christmas gift book that I got. This beautiful cocktail book. Uh, it's called Booze and Vinyl, which I was gifted to by Jason and Smashley. Thank you, boo-boos. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and this is really good because, like us, they pair cocktails with vinyl. So, um... Ah. All of the different albums, they have like James Brown and the Beatles and Madonna and Amy Winehouse and Wu-Tang Clan and like, you know, just like Lauryn Hill, just like ACDC, you know, just like a bunch of different albums. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So this cocktail is paired with Madonna's Like a Virgin. Ah, touch for the very first time. Between the sheets she was. And so... (laughs) Every album that they have is paired with like an A side and a B side. So we're we're drinking the A side today. Okay. The other the B side is called Beauty Shop. It didn't work. We might do that in the future. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll drink it we'll drink the Beauty Shop when we watch it. Beauty Shop, Shop right? <laughs> 
don't know. Like, that kind of just seems perfect for me. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that one out there. If you guys okay. see this book, go ahead and get it. It's so beautiful. Look at this. It's just like a bunch I of know. Yes. Such a from great gift. From the greatest people ever. Yeah. So I just want to give a shout oh. out to Smashy and Jason and Aww. this uh, booze and vinyl book. Okay. Aww. So you're going to use one ounce of white rum. You're going to use one ounce of cognac and one ounce of Contore. Since recently we just used some Grand Marnier for our Waiting to Exhale episode for the Mm -hmm. Hermosa Mimosa. We used it instead of the Contore because it is only just an orange liqueur. So, boom, Mm -hmm. we just used it. So it does add, it has the same orange little face. It's so good. Um, And then one and a half ounce of lemon juice. And then you're going to garnish with a lemon twist. You're going to shake it up in a cocktail shaker and put it into a nicely chilled cocktail glass, a.k.a. a martini glass. And uh, cheers. Oh, my God. Cheers. Mm, Perfect. Here we go. It's really good. Smooth. Ooh, I love this. Smooth. I really like using cognac as a blended ingredient with liquor over brandy, I think. Because this is smooth. Are you not a brandy fan? I actually, I like brandy. It's sweet. I like like brandy, but I think it's just too sweet for me. And then with other things that we've added it to, I don't know, the cognac kind of gives it a more aged, it makes me feel aged a little bit, you know? Like this, this martini... It's got a little wiseness to it. Yeah. We don't we haven't used cognac that often in the show, maybe about two or three times. Yeah. And it usually it's just it's usually it mixed in a drink with a bunch of other <laughs> other drinks. <laughs> like other alcohol. And I wasn't sure how the white rum was going to be in here. Not that it's like huge flavor, but just I just never thought of rum and cognac. <laughs> Me neither, but it creates such a smooth experience. Yeah. A real dominate experience, if you will. All right, well, are you ready for a little bit of history? Give me some history. I love it. One, I want to point out that we have a famous listener. (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. A fan of ours sent us a clip of Miss Cardi B singing a little bit of history. Uh, that was amazing. I can't believe that we saw this clip. It's totally true. She totally listens. I totally think she stole this from us. <laughs> uh, I've been doing it for like three years straight. So, yeah. yes, definitely. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. I, I'm jaw dropped. Like, it's... Whew. Hello, Cardi. Hi, Cardi. Thank you. You're so, <laughs> you're so amazing. I hope you're having a great day. <laughs> Cheers, bitch. Cheers, bitch. Okay, so... We're going to learn a little bit about cognac. Oh, cool. Okay. So cognac. Okay, I'm ready. So cognac is the type of brandy. And in the 50s, it was called the brandy of Napoleon. Because the rumor is that Napoleon loved him some cognac. And then he, even when he got like exiled, he fucking hoarded a bunch of cognac for himself because he fucking loved it so much. Wow. Well, truth is. Cognac wasn't invented until 24 years after he died. <laughs> he didn't even drink in the first place, so he wouldn't have like, been a fan of it. So oh, that was no. just like a rumor that I feel like the 50s advertisement people were like, who's somebody who's super cool in historical history? Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> of course. Of course, he was the first person I thought of, too. <laughs> Napoleon. He's just... So- 
<laughs> so admired. Especially with, especially with his hand in his coat and a cognac in the other. Like, the other. Well, I'm sorry, girl. To bust your bubble. But that motherfucker didn't even drink. So That fucking motherfucker. <laughs> okay, just a preface. We're going to be cursing a lot in this episode. <laughs> I'm going to say motherfucker as many motherfucking times as I motherfucking can. Okay? Especially in this movie. Sorry. Okay, so the difference between brandy and cognac is that cognac is double distilled with white wine, just like, you know, the white wine that they use for the brandy. And but what they do is once they distill it once, they distill it again in a copper pot still. And the times that they do this within is between October 1st and March 31st is when they get all their batches together, apparently. So we're wow. right now, right now as we speak in February, we're in the midst of like cognac so- season. Ooh. <laughs> Watch out. It's cognac season. It's cognac season. Watch out now, I man. I really want to watch a reality show about, like, people who distill cognac through this time period, and that's their, like, catchphrase. It's like, watch out, it's cognac season. (laughs) (laughs) We need to learn how to make cognac and start our own reality show. I don't know what else to tell you guys. That's exactly. (laughs) It has to be 90% um, used with, uh, please forgive me, because I am not French. You're not? I'm not. I mean, Girl, you I look, do. You look French. Like I, <laughs> I'm not French, but bear with me. The Un La Blanc grapes. Un La Blanc. Yeah, that's right. Un La Blanc. <laughs> uh, grapes. The, and so it has to be also made in like a certain region in France for it to be cognac. Um, that is so classic French. Yes, <laughs> it gets even better. So it has to be aged for at least. Two years. Sometimes they do it up to like 10, 15 years. Wow. But like it has to bare minimum be aged for two years in oak barrels, right? And not only does it have to be oak barrels, but it has to be from two specific forests in France. So it can't just be in any barrel. It has to be from made from wood from these two different forests in France. <laughs> For it to oh, be wow. cognac. So if I decided to do all this stuff here in my backyard in Southern California, mm-hmm. even if I use the oak barrels and all the stuff, it's still just going to be like a fancy brandy. It will not be considered cognac because it has to follow all of these fucking rules for it to be considered cognac. Mm-hmm. Which I thought that was crazy. I'm like, two forces? Like, I have to make a barrel or buy a barrel from somebody who has to cut down trees in a certain forest for me able to make this cognac that has to sit from two to 15 years in this <laughs> like wow. it's just like extremely Whoa. crazy how they do this okay such a process such oh a process God. so in the 16th century the dutch merchants they were in France buying salt and they were mm-hmm. loving that local wine that was coming out of France, right? But mm-hmm. unfortunately, wine does not transport it to wherever they're going, right? So mm-hmm. that is kind of how we get brandy because brandy is just the alcohol pulled from the grapes that makes wine. From whatever wine is, they pull the alcohol out of that and that's what makes brandy. So that's okay. kind of how they were able to move it from one side of the world to the other side without it going bad because mm-hmm. that's what they did. 
So two, 200 years after that, somebody was like, hey, girl, you know, it tastes really good if you like store it in oak barrels for a little while. Like, you should probably try this. And that is where we get the cone, like some of the cognac taste from the barrels uh, and okay. the double distilled. So, okay, okay. So, in that- this, this is the craziest part about it, which makes me like love it even more. In the 1870s, there was an insect that killed most of France's like vineyards crops. It just wiped through them and just completely ate almost everything and completely shut down the industry for quite a long time. So they just kind of had to shut it down and wait till like these type of locusts or whatever these insects were that were eating all their crops to die out. And it took 70 years for this industry to come back into play again before that they had to wait for all this shit to go down. Isn't that crazy? Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And so eventually what ends up happening is during World War One, mm-hmm. the French was giving us cognac to American soldiers as like a will of good, you know, faith and, you know, appreciation. They were just giving them as a gift, which got Americans fucking hooked. Yeah, because I bet. That, that would, oh, my God. 97% of the cognac that is made in France is exported out of the world, and half of that is exported to America. We love it. <laughs> Jay-Z has his own cognac. Busted L- Rhymes has Pasta Cavassier. Everybody's singing now. <laughs> yeah, so, like, that's kind of how I end up you know, kind of knowing what it was, obviously, when that song came out, because, girl, we didn't drink. I didn't drink till much later after that song came out. Yeah, exactly. Um, We drink in, like, 2018. It said that we drank over 180 million bottles of cognac here in the USA. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And it's also kind of, it's known in the hip-hop world and black community as, like, one of our stapled brown liquors that we be drinking. Our fancy brown liquor. If it's your birthday, you gonna get a bottle of, you know, Hennessy. Boom. Yeah. And you feeling mm-hmm. really good. So, that's a little bit of her story. On Cognac. On Cognac. I loved it. Yeah. I learned a lot on that one. Yeah, that was amazing. I didn't realize. <laughs> right? I learned. I learned. I learned tonight. That's why I do my herstory, because I want y'all to learn a little bit of something about what you're drinking. Well, girl. Yes. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready for the motherfucking drinking game. Yes, And this is an extra special motherfucking drinking game. <laughs> it really is. It's like the motherfucking drinking game. It is game. the motherfucking drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> That's why oh I feel God. so such a kindred spirit with Rudy. Like, we, we, right? we understand each other. Okay. So, you're going to take a simp. Just I'm just a pimp at heart. <laughs> it's true. I am just a pimp at heart. <laughs> Pimping myself, but you know. We got to do what we got to do. We got to do what we got to do. You got to hustle. So... You're going to take a simp when someone says some 70s slang. So be like, You dig? Guys, large and in charge on you. All right, young blood. Can you dig? Right on, or jive turkey, or you dig? You dig. I remember you dig. 
Oh my god, there are some good ones. Yeah, so anytime you hear some jive, <laughs> some jive talking, <laughs> you're going to take a simp. Um, <laughs> yes. You're going to take a simp when someone says Rudy. Or Dolomite. Dolomite is my name and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. <laughs> and they say both of those names quite often. Also, I'm going to take Rudy Ray Moore. If they say his complete government name, that's not his government name. But if they say his complete name, you go ahead and take a sip. Take a sip. Toast to the man. Toast to that man. Mm-hmm. And they say his name. A lot. A lot. Especially when she's in the bed. She's like, don't oh, mind. Oh, don't mind. Put white on it. <laughs> You're going to take a sip when you see some tits or ass. <gasps> oh, tits and, and ass. ass. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was Bought thinking. Bought myself a <laughs> fancy pair. I always think of balcony and mezzanine. <laughs> oh, God. That song is so good. Oh, I'll take a sip for tits and ass. Thank you. Tits and ass. And there's quite a few tits. An ass in here. You the leading man, nigga. You have all these half naked girls. Shit, the folks gonna wanna see you fuck one or two of them at least. <laughs> More tits there than are... ass, but you get to see at least the both. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of tits. I would have loved to seen a little bit more of Eddie Murphy's ass, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? I don't do? know if that was his ass or not. It didn't say if it wasn't. Like he had an ass double. Yeah, I didn't but mention I mean, it, but... I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Murphy was like, "I'm Eddie Murphy, and I'm not showing my ass." <laughs> Sorry, bitch. But I could also see Eddie Murphy being like, "I'm showing my fucking ass." So. I mean, if you're gonna do it, now's the time, man. He's 58 years old, you know. <laughs> now's or, or, it's now's the time. What does Moira shit say? Uh, I'm sorry, Moira Rose. She goes, "Take as many naked pictures and post them everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, so your kids will know you were hot." And you know what? And I watched that and I was like, "That's so true." She was that upset so that she, her news weren't online. <laughs> Someday we're all gonna feel that way. I'm just kidding. Okay, so you gonna take a simp when? Rudy says, put some weight on it. Put your weight on it. Put some weight on it, girl. Oh. Don't, don't give me that buddy hacket shit. Put some weight put on it. Put some weight on it. I know he tells her. Hey man, don't give me that buddy hacket shit. Make that shit swing. Put your weight on it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's like, okay, I got you. Boop, boop, boop. He's like, yeah, fuck that shit. (laughs) It's one of my favorite lines, honestly. It's so, it's so great. You know how to add it. Put some weight on it. Put some weight on it. You gonna take a simp when Rudy is performing on stage? So this is even when he sucks and he's doing like the stupid. Oh, he's emceeing at the beginning. Yeah, he has like the cheesy joke about the elephant and. What did the elephant say to the naked man? Are you gonna read for that small thing? Drunk, like <laughs> stupid shit. Yeah, I people like are it. just not. <laughs> well, apparently, Lenny still thinks it's funny. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I mean, any. I love all jokes. I'm a. I'm a clap. I'm a classic laugh ho. She is. She's Welcome. the best person to have to your show. Welcome to Ho City, population <laughs> two. That's me and you. <laughs> I'm the go. I'm the governor. You're the governor of Ho City. 
I'm just their local. I'm the, I'm the local lush. <laughs> local lush Lenny here. You're providing. Okay. okay, sorry. So this is yeah his bad comic. This is when he comes in and he's just like way down in the jungle deep. Way down in the jungle deep. The lion stepped on the signified monkey's feet. The monkey said, "Motherfucker, can't you see? You standing on my goddamn feet." Oh, and so he does good. all his fun shit. Yeah, and you know, and the, the whole cr- crowd goes wild. I mean. <laughs> Quiet, because they're like, who, who is this guy? Where'd he this come dude? from? Who's this pimp-ass nigga on the stage? It's, it's <laughs> fucking Dolomite. You don't even know. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so you're going to take a simp when you see one of Rudy's albums. Oh, so so all of his albums are fully naked of him and some ladies' albums. Personally... I picked this movie because my dad is a big uh, Rudy Ray Moore fan, and I have my own personal Rudy Ray Moore vinyl right here in front of me, you guys. This is the second Rudy Ray Moore album. This pussy belongs to me. (laughs) Stop it. This is amazing. This is amazing. I can't believe you have it. I'm sure there's more in the house. I had to ask my dad and he had to find this one. Because oh my god. My parents have a huge collection of vinyl between the two of them and I uh-huh. have a huge collection of my own and I also scavenged through theirs over time. So there's uh-huh. some that I just was like, look, I don't have any more room for it. This one is coming with me. I can't yeah. believe I passed it up in the first place. It was really busted. I had to tape the the cover back together oh, to fit him, but yeah I oh got my, my God, own personal so one which i listened to today <laughs> oh i love that yeah so it's one of those amazing finds that i have i love that you told me that this was such a important and um it affected your father a lot. You had mentioned that when you chose this, that this he was making his jokes for your father and your father's generation. Mm-hmm. And that getting to watch this and like getting to have that information, it makes me feel really connected to your dad a little bit, like to understand and know and imagining him in the movie theater watching this movie, which he probably did with his buddies. He totally like did. when he when was you in see, college like, when this came out. Dolomite, the albums, the movies, mm-hmm. when this came out, he was in college here in Southern California. So he was, you know, very into this shit. I put it on tonight and he was just la- like, it is extremely dirty, you guys. Oh, yeah. Parents talk about our, like, I can't, my dad's like, I don't like your guys' comedians. They cuss all the time. Blah, blah, blah. I just listened to a good hour of this guy talking about dicks and pussies and motherfuckers and ass and balls <laughs> and hoes and all dicks and cocks and all the shit. All of the shit for a good hour with this fool. Oh and God. I told him, I was like, and you talk about our comedians cussing too much? Like, you were all about this. Exactly. <laughs> you were all about this. Oh, it is funny. It is funny. If you are not a person who likes cussing or, you know, vulgar speak, this would not be an album or soundtrack you should listen to. But yeah. if you think that shit's funny, like I do, yeah, then you should listen to it because it actually is pretty funny. He sounds like what like Muhammad Ali would talk, say, if he was like a dirty joke teller. <laughs> <laughs> because it's all rhyming and rhythm. It's very funny. Yeah, it's so good. You're going to take a simp. When someone says, motherfucker. Let me 
That motherfucker learned how to chop me a motherfucker. Yo, yo, yo. That's a motherfucking rat. That's a no business born, insecure, hard motherfucking rat. Oh my god, you'll be drunk. You will, this, you will be drunk. I feel like Samuel Jackson has loved Rudy oh, Ray Moore so much. Absolutely. Very, very, just his motherfucker. Like, oh my god. Uh, I, I believe Samuel Jackson's the one that said motherfucker, motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> Which that is like iconic. The motherfucker of motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, like he, he motherfucker to motherfucker back to back. So like, uh, he obviously has definitely great admiration. Yeah, and he's really. around this time time period, so definitely he was young. Exactly. Like saying this shit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you gonna take a simp when you see money exchange hands. So when somebody buys Rudy's records, when he's paying the bums to tell them their stories. Look here, man. I got some money and I got some hooch. How you like to sit down and tell me some of your stories? Any of those when Lady Reed is pulling all this money out of her titties onto the bed, you gonna take oh, that's simps. Like- that is seriously one of my favorite scenes out of the entire movie, especially with the overlap and the edit and her just like pouring all the money out. Like, yeah, she has yeah. gorgeous boobs. I was like, oh my god, look at her she, titties. <laughs> her whole physique is her, gorgeous. She's so curvy. I love it. She carries herself like a badass. Like, I honest, oh my god. Like, even when you're supposed to, well, I mean, we should get more into her and her character in yeah. a little bit. Let's just say she's a, she's amazing. She's a bad motherfucker. That's bad all mother- I'm gonna say. Bad motherfucker. <laughs> okay, so you're gonna have to take a simp when someone tells Rudy no. So this is when he goes to different companies to try to get them to produce his record or to produce his movies or to even play his movies anywhere. Like, you're going to take a fucking simp because they be telling him no all the time. Like, the my time. favorite line is when he goes and he's trying to get them to to make the movie. He's like, I even got a sick-ass song. He's like, Dolomite, Dolomite. And he's like singing everything. To, he's bad. All this shit. <laughs> and the guy's like, look. You're not supposed to make a movie for the five square blocks of people you know. Well, that's fine with me. Every city in America got them same five blocks, and those folks is going to love it. You can't just make a movie for the five blocks that you live in. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you know, every city in the country has the same exact five blocks, and those people would love to see my movie, which is yep. so true. Every so true. major city, not even major city, every town, every everywhere, especially at that Ever. time, had a ghetto where the black mm-hmm. people lived. And those five blocks are going to come out to see this. Exactly. So, anytime. He knew it. He, yeah. he knew it. It was amazing. He couldn't, he would not take no for an answer. That's what is so like inspiring about his story and his character. Like, he wasn't going to take no for an answer, man. I like that. I like that one a lot. Yes. So, you're going to take a simp when Rudy and Lady Reed have their deep talks. So, this is her talking about how her husband... To be cheating on her and her son's out here you know with holes in his britches and his shoes yeah. and this is you know him 
confiding in her how he's, you know, nervous to do this sex scene. Like, I'm old fat dude. Like, no one wants to see me have fucking sex. I got this big old belly. Everybody gonna be standing around. I don't know what to do. When my ex used to try to climb on top of me to bust a nut, I would check the fuck out till the shit was over. And in the meantime, I tried to amuse myself, so I just pretend that he was fucking some mangy-ass donkey we had. And I'd be just sitting there laughing and laughing. Make it funny. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love when she's like, I would laugh. I would laugh. That's it, it's funny. And he's like, he wouldn't when even she, know why. He wouldn't even know what's going on. That was, that's a real, that was so good. Yeah. And so they have quite a few of these very deep talks. You know, I'm even going to take where you At know, the end. At the end, uh, where she's like thanking him. I'm so grateful for you putting me in this movie. Because I ain't never seen nobody that looks like me up there on that big screen. Like, you know, thank you. Because I've never seen anybody on the screen that, like, looks like me. And yeah. you putting me in here. Like, straight up. And just, they have quite a few of these. They have phone calls and just... Yeah, you'll you're you'll always be a star to me. Yeah. Oh. And he made sure he put her in all of his movies going for further. Mm-hmm. No matter he what. Did. Mm-hmm. He did. Pro- he like, I love that. Like, I mean, it's it's hard to unfortunately because he's passed away. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like know all their stories and all their characters, but I feel like they really stayed true to him, and I feel like he was just like that. Yeah, because he did. He he loved working with the same people, and I think he he just considered them his family. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you gonna finish your drink when Lady Lady Reed hits her husband? So the first oh. time that Rudy sees her, he's looking oh out God. from the side of the stage, and he looks over, and she's sitting there. You know, bucking up to some fucking dude, and he slaps so her, good. and she practically she knocks his ass out. Nails on him. She hits him like fucking Oprah in the color purple. I ain't fucking around, kind of shit. I love it. I love, I love it. That reference, <laughs> <laughs> which was another that. one of our Black History Month movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good, good callback. Go check it out. Go check it out. It's a really good one with Jason. Okay, so you're going to finish your drink when Rudy puts the Roosevelt in his place. So this is when he's like talking shit about like, why don't you just turn the lights off so we don't even have to see the movie being made? Well, why don't we turn off all of the lights? That way we don't have to look at the scene. Hey, man, that ain't cool. I know you missed a big time, but the rest of us ain't never done no shit like this before. I'm paying for this whole goddamn thing and I ain't got no fucking ego about it. If a box need to get moved, I will move the box. And if the crew get hungry, I'll go downstairs and start making sandwiches. You know, if the crew gets hungry, I will go downstairs and make a sandwich. Like, I don't even give a shit. Just putting them in this place, which is true to the story. Because Mm -hmm. he was a weird director who did not want to be on it and was drunk and didn't care about any of this shit. That's all real. So, you know, they just need somebody to know semi what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> he happened to be the one. And it's good to have a big name. He was a kind of a recognized name at that point. Yeah, other than everybody else in the fucking <laughs> So you're going to finish your drink when they read the reviews. So we're, oh. they're in the, the uh, limo. The on red the limo. On their way to the official, I will say, premiere of the movie. 
because the whole cast and crew get to be there. And they're reading about how, like, Dolomite isn't fit for a blind dog to see. It is coarse, rude, crude, and vulgar. This movie is so bad, you shouldn't even show it to a blind dog. Like, all of the horrible things that they say about this movie. I know. All of the things that they said about it. I won't say horrible because they weren't. <laughs> this movie sucked, you guys. <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> but in a good way. It's it's one of those, way. like, yeah, it's one of those cult classics that you love it because it's so bad, but it's so good because it's so bad. And it just, like, makes you laugh at how silly it really is. Yeah, we'll get into, I, I have a whole Black History Month fact about this. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, do you have anything else you want to add to the motherfucking drinking game? No, girl, you nailed it. You nailed it. I loved every bit of it. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Okay, well, that was the completely perfect motherfucking drinking game. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you ready for the stats? Give me those stats, stats, stats. I want to hear those stats, stats, stats. Stat me up for stats, stats, stats. Because I want to make that money, honey. Ooh. Okay. So, Dolomite is my name is the movie we're talking about tonight. And it dropped October 25th, 2019, baby. Oh, yeah, baby. Which I saw, I'm pretty sure, October 25th. If not, like, That's amazing. 26. The budget for this movie is... I don't know because it was a Netflix movie and they don't release their budgets. For they the really movies, don't. Which is gonna really fuck up my stats. Maybe see how many streams it got. Like maybe that could be another thing. Sometimes they don't even they don't I announce know. it unless it's super super like groundbreaking. I know, so I can't even tell you nothing. I don't know how yeah. much it was. I really don't. Whatever it is, it had to have been. I'm gonna guess like sixty million dollars. Okay. Only because, one, you have to pay Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. And Keegan, Keegan. Uh, Michael Peckham. And <laughs> then you had to pay cameos for, like, a bunch of people. And yep. Chris Rock. I mean, oh, my God. And you just, the wardrobe and the sets were just so, I feel like when you do a period piece, it's already going to be, like, extra expensive because we have to yeah. remake or find vintage items of cars and clothing and everything mm-hmm. that's just my ballpark guest of doing this show i don't know how much you think of me no i i would i was gonna say i i would imagine it's probably especially with eddie murphy on it mm-hmm. and this is like his project like he brought this to the table this is all him so i think if you got something like that yeah 60 70 million that's what i was guessing around 50 to 50 to 70 million i was thinking and that is just our educated guess of me, especially doing this show for like three years. I definitely kind of get a feel for how much movies cost. Mm-hmm. And this one's closer to like now, so it makes it easier. But yeah, that's all I'm going to guess on that. But let's talk about Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, here we go. Critics, 97%. I think that they were totally on point. Like they knew what yeah. they were talking about. It was very beautifully, really well done. And, you know, this was Eddie Murphy's return to doing a big movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was his first straight-to-streaming movie. 
Yeah, it's first ever. Yeah, so like, you know, that's that's something to to say because like I said, they also did show this in a couple of theaters. That's why I thought I could kind of get maybe get an idea of how much money it made or any of that. I couldn't get anything because it was it was released in certain theaters, limited well, theaters. Because it was entered into film festivals. And film festivals and mm-hmm. but yeah, it's all in all it's a Netflix movie, so. But the audience gave it 91%. So they're still in there. I get it. Okay. And I'm going to get it 99%. I think it was a great movie. I think it was a great cast. I think that it was well done. Very funny. Even when it wasn't really supposed to be funny, it was still felt real. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of transported you straight into the fun black 70s of Los Angeles. It was just great. I, I loved it. I love the music. I love I loved Eddie Murphy. That's why he's probably been on the show more than anybody <laughs> Because mm-hmm. he's just he, he he makes good good movies and so that's my Perfect. my ZZ Fresh ZZ Fresh. 99. Well, my little Lenny Zest actually is ninety nine percent as well. I'm not gonna lie. The costumes the the script is incredible it's so it's so perfect the whole i loved it the only i i love this movie i can't stop telling you how much i loved this movie yeah like, this was as soon Lindy's as i watched this was my time. first time seeing it and uh i loved it I, I've, I've been watching it nonstop since we started watching it it's so good he's so inspiring like he it just it gives me so much ugh. So many goosebumps, so many butterflies. I'm so glad that you like this movie because mm-hmm. when I suggested it and you hadn't seen it, I was like, "She's gonna like." it. I know. It. Is she gonna? Like yeah. It? No. No. no she's gonna like. She's gonna love it. I'm gonna like it. Like I'm gonna love it, and I do. I love it. The only thing I will say, and this is gonna be a little serious, and we don't have to go into too much detail because I think you and I both understand. But it was it was interesting to see it in the film, and I wasn't. I was like, oh, it's that scene where um, obviously the character uh, Titus mm-hmm. uh, Burgess is the actor. He plays the character Tony, who's the producer. He works at the record store yeah. with Rudy. And I think you know what I'm going to talk about. It's when they're at the um, barbecue, and he makes a cute little joke. He's just like, I wish I had me a best boy. Best boy? I wish I had me a best boy. Okay, honey. <laughs> oh, damn, Tony, don't nobody want to hear all that shit, man. We having a pleasant barbecue. And besides, ain't nobody going to be getting called the boy on my side. <laughs> and him and Lady Reed, like, do a little cute slap, and Eddie Murphy shuts him down, and he says, no one wants to hear that. Like, don't bring it up. We're out here drinking. No one wants to hear that. No one's going to be called boy on my set, which has a little bit of both. There's there's two major things playing in that one comment. Like, one, no one's going to call someone boy, because obviously it's totally disrespectful to call yeah. someone like a boy. A and, black um, person. A, a black person, a boy. And um, two, it's referring to the fact that Tony, the character, is a homosexual, and it's made it's making him uncomfortable to even just bring it up or discuss it. He loves this man, don't get me wrong. He considers this man family and loves him, but he kind of gets a little, like, defensive about it. And it's not the first time. He makes, like, a face when Tony makes another joke about it, too. So that's just, like, I, but I do understand the layering of what it means, and I like that it was represented, but kind of like, well, do we have, I mean... Do we have to bring attention to it? But it was there. Yeah, I get you. But other than that, I think it the fact that the comment itself has so much layering and to, to really understand it, and especially what this movie is, is giving you, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good and it's so complex. I, I totally, I don't think it's offensive in any way, and that's why it's still a really great movie to me, and it's 99%. 99%! And we Motherfucker! Agree, <laughs> Motherfucker, it's a 99%. Okay, 99. yes. 
This movie is a must-see, I will tell you guys, especially ending up your Black History Month. It's very funny, very inspiring. It's a great underdog story, and, mm-hmm. you know... And it's a true story. It's a true story. So, yeah, that's my stats. Love those stats. So, Netflix, release some information so we can have better stats. Please. Or not, I mean, you did great. You did. I know. It's, like... I just don't understand why Netflix has to be super quiet about it most of the time. Like, because then they release statements of like, we had to cancel this show because it was too expensive to to make. And I'm like, how much is too expensive? (laughs) You didn't give us any kind of breakdown budget. Like, what are we supposed to be doing here? And you keep on raising my membership. I'm not complaining. I love you, Netflix. I love you, Netflix. And thank you for, you know, letting independent filmmakers make their movies and and have a platform on your on your site and i will never stop paying for you it is the longest paying bill that i've ever paid in my life is netflix all right well here's a little bit of black history facts okay (gasps) yes okay so black history facts so this is kind of has to do with our story so back in the day they put a code on what we could and couldn't do in movies. It's called the Hayes Code, and it was active between 1934 through 1968, which means that we couldn't have interracial couples. Uh, we couldn't have stories that didn't end with moral endings. We couldn't have any real signs of sex. So, like, everything would be like a kiss, and then the camera would pan up, and you would just assume that they banged. You know, but but we couldn't show any tits and ass, like none of that. Not was, even a, not even like a panty drop. No panty shot. drops. Like mm. all of that stuff was like banned in movies. So like the bad guy always had to be punished. The girls always had to have their tops on. There wouldn't be any cussing. There were these codes. There was just tons and tons. It's called the Hayes yeah. Code, and okay. it was named after William H. Hayes, who was the president of the Motion Picture and Production, and he was. The president of the motion picture company and so they had these rules until 1968 and then finally they got rid of the rules and we start seeing waves of movies that are more like what we as modern people see as movies so in the beginning of the 70s we started seeing black exportation movies and black exportation movies has a double meaning because one, they called it black exportation because one, it was starring, written, and made by, financed by black people. Not always, mm-hmm. but for the, the beginning worth were by black people. So they were exploiting the code. Now that there is no code, we can show tits and ass and violence and cussing and, vi- and beating and sex and interracial loving. All these stuff can now be shown in movies. So black people took advantage of this and that's how we kind of have black sportation movies, but also called sportation because eventually at the beginning of film, they didn't believe that black people went to the movies. They didn't think that we cared what we saw, that we cared that we saw ourselves in the movies. None of those things were like vital to getting the black money because they thought we were poor and we didn't have money. It wasn't until the 70s that they realized that black people actually like going to the movies and like Mm -hmm. seeing movies about themselves. So (laughs) when these movies started becoming super big and popular in the early to mid 70s, white 
producers took advantage of this and made a lot of other movies. The movies that are in black exploitation would be like, you know, Superfly and Coffee and Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown and Blackula and all oh, of these Blackula. All of these Shaft. movies are considered black exploitation. I believe Shaft is more of the white end of it, but that that's just basically what sums up these movies in a, in general. The reason why mm-hmm. they look the way that they look very cheesy and low budget is because, well, bitch, they were low budget. Yeah. <laughs> we had to make it with what we had and that it didn't really matter even if it was a bad movie. Black people were going to go see it because hey bitch we're on the screen we're fucking pam greer or we're Mm -hmm. dolomite or we're fucking isaac hayes or we're whoever and we're out here like fucking kicking ass and taking names and so that's a little bit of her story on black exploitation movies that's where it comes from that's where the meaning of the name comes from and that is where we get a lot of our movies a lot of our movies today that are very, especially the ones in the 80s, which were very sexual and dirty and explicit, they have to mm-hmm. thank black exploitation movies because we were exactly. the first to do that. That's what I was going to say. The, the, this actual, the whole project and movement of uh, started independent films mm-hmm. and, and more like the independent avant-garde style of filming where it becomes so much more explorative and artistic it's not just like and that we have to thank independent films have so much to thank for for all their forerunning yeah start of it so if you're indie actor director screenwriter you need to thank black exportation because we we opened the door for that one definitely Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah absolutely love it right so that's a little bit of black history fact on you so do you want to hear a little bit about the real Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, let me know about the real Dolomite, baby. I okay. want to hear about him. I want to know the intimates of this sexy man. He actually was a sexy man. He was pretty hot, right? Right? Like, I wasn't making that shit up. When I was watching the old videos of him, I was like, hmm, he's actually really cute. Okay, so Rudy Ray Moore was born on March 17th, 1927 in Arkansas. And at the age of 15, he left home and he started getting odd jobs all over the place. Some of them was like as a, a preacher in church, a dancer in a nightclub. You've been a singer. You've been a, a shake dancer. At one time, I think you even called yourself a fortune teller. A singer, dancer, and comedian. Like he did it all. And uh, he just really liked to perform and to entertain people. So he was drafted into the army and he served in apparently the entertainment unit in Germany and he got the name as the Harlem Hillbilly, which he does mention in this movie. He does. Um and then he ended up moving to like Seattle, I believe it was, and then eventually moving to Los Angeles. When he got out here, he started doing a bunch of singing, so he would do, you know, R R and B songs between like nineteen fifty five and nineteen 19- 62 so he would do a ding a ding dong oh you dirty fucker ding dong 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 ding dong
so good. Which I think I didn't see it as a fact, but it sounds like it's probably the real song because the guy singing doesn't sound like Eddie Murphy singing. No, he doesn't. Sound I know like what Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy sounds like singing. Yeah. <laughs> It must be. It must be like an original. I tried to look up the soundtrack for this, and I was able to find various artists. Like obviously, just like, but is there a complete soundtrack for it? I didn't see one. Um, if it was, it would be just a bunch of you know, popular songs from the seventies that were set yeah. in the movie. But I did not mm-hmm. see his a ding a da ding dong. But I, I will really look for it now. <laughs> So eventually he ended up working as a manager at Dolphins Hollywood Records where, you know, he just kind of puttered around and worked there for a while. And he got really restless. He was doing stand-up in com- clubs around town, but he really mm-hmm. wasn't just like making a name for himself or anything like that. And that was until he s- actually sat and listened to Rico the Bum. So Rico would come into his record shop and beg for money and tell stories and all the things that you kind of see in the movie on that brief little scene. Rudy gave him some money and was like, tell me a story. I'll give you some money. Tell me a story. And he started telling him the story about Dodomite. And it just kind of just clicked for him and he liked it. He legitly would go on to bribe Rico with reefer and booze, as it said in the article, to get him to record and talk about, you know, these these stories. And then he would build on these and add more rhymes to them and build a whole character and story arc with these kind of stories that he heard from Rico. Um, I did hear in a, a documentary I was watching then Rico did eventually end up getting hit by a bus and nobody heard from him again. And this is oh around the time when they were starting to film the movie. So I feel like Rico is not actually in the Dolomite movie. There is like a crackhead dude who's in there who was a real actual yeah. ass crackhead that they just pulled off the street. And he's yeah. straight up a crackhead for real. He does a good job as being himself. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, yeah. So Rico is not around to like reap the benefits of this, but mm-hmm. Rudy took all the money that he had from his records and his savings, which ended up being around a hundred thousand dollars. It is amazing that he personally financed, believed in himself so much, didn't take no for an answer, and put up all of his own money. You kind of see a lot of references to it in his character in this film specifically, but and then there's a lot of admiration that other people give to him. Like there's a there's a bunch of guys who do support him and believe in him and that's what was really cool is that they heard the record and they were the guys that said yes like we want to put out your record we want to pay for you to go touring so it was nice to see that people did believe in him but regardless he always believed in himself and he always invested in him and that is just so inspirational because that's all i want to do ever i know all that but i'm gonna bet on myself ain't nobody gonna put me on the screen except for me and everybody i talk to say they want to see a dolomite movie invest in myself and invest in the people I trust and love around me. That's what like, you I want to do as an artist. Is that eventually I just want to be your Tony, baby. Oh, 
So he used his own money, his money that he made off his albums, his savings, and he pulled it all together, which ended up being $100,000, which if you would translate that into like 2021 money, it would be more like $486,000 that he invested into his self, into his movie to make it. After he was done filming it, he did not have enough money to edit it, so he had to go back on the road to make some more money to get this movie edited and he ended up making about 12 million dollars on this movie which if you translate that into 2021 money it'd be like he made like 58 million dollars off of this movie that's what i'm saying like he fucking rags to riches kind of dude um yeah so he he did this all on his own like you said he made numerous of other movies with practically the same character, practically the same cast and crew, you know, That's making right? these movies over and over in different ways. So he shared his wealth. Like, there. that's what I freaking love. And he wanted to build, he says it even in the film, and I believe it was a true character to his heart. He wanted to build up his communities. Yeah. That was his whole belief. And I just, you can just tell the way he conducted his business. Yeah. He kept people close to him. He knew exactly who he wanted to work with. And he, he took all of his people with him, which I just fucking love. Yeah. So after he made all these movies, the next couple decades, he found more fame in the way that you probably, I guess you would guess, but not really guess. But he was loved by rappers. I mean, he is a rapper. He was worked with and inspired. These are just the people he worked with, but he inspired so many other people. But he worked with like... Big Daddy Kane, to like Crew, Busta Rhymes, Snoop Dogg. He also showed up in an episode of Martin. And he wow. just like kept going through the 80s and 90s. Snoop Dogg calls him the godfather of rap. And so does a lot of other people. Um, Fuck yeah. Snoop Dogg, you know, refers to him in lines in his songs. And, you know, kind of picks up his pip style when it comes to his like Snoop Dogg persona that he has is you a can lot totally yeah you can totally this. see it uh, yeah right so, on you know he lived on in that aspect from what I have read in some articles I listened to he was a gay man and I think that is a lot why what you were saying is like you know he was like there's a scene where Tony says like you know they're like yeah you know my my uncle was in jail and all they would do is sit around and tell these stories and he goes like well you know they could have sex exactly and he's just like you know there's they could more fuck. Than, oh he doesn't say sex he's um, like oh they could fuck they could fuck <laughs> and he's like yeah well there's more to life than sex apparently yeah. that character is way more flamboyant in real life and would hit on almost everybody you know straight guys that were like cool in their crew would just kind of know and just be like whatever but yeah. apparently Rudy was more of an undercover. I think that it would ruin his whole persona if he would come out, especially in the 70s, to say, hey, yeah, I'm 70s. a black gay man. No. So that is something that I have heard. I cannot confirm or deny that. But I did see interviews with people who worked with him back in that time and said, like, yeah, bitch, he was like Rock Hudson Liberace kind of shit. Okay. See, I didn't know this. And that does change it a lot. And that's... 
Yeah, when you were saying I mean, what you were saying, I was like, maybe it's because yeah, of this. I maybe wish it's that is my 1% in the movie is because I wish they would have just pushed that a little more. If that is the, the fact, the truth. Yeah. I wish you would have said a little something to just make it more because even people who know him a lot, I asked my dad, I was like, did you know he was gay? He was like, no. But then, like, I asked my mom and I asked, like, my cousin who they're older than me and they're like, yeah, yeah, I knew he was gay. And I'm like, see? So, like, <laughs> some people well, see, know was, and some people don't know. Like, I wish you would have kind of thrown that in there. Exactly. And so, like, and the thing is, is that I kind of, I mean, one, I think everyone's gay. That's just <laughs> Everyone's like, a little bit Everyone's gay. a little bit gay. I wish that was the song. Everyone's a little bit gay. Okay. So that was, and also there's a part of his rhyme. He's like, there's nobody like me. Mm-hmm. And that is a very strong statement to say, because when you say that, that means that you're open and it's, it's different than anything you've already experienced before. For, especially letting someone else know that and it's kind of just like a very pronounced thing to say for yourself so i kind of got the impression but they didn't really touch too much on his sexual desires or preferences even though you you kind of get the idea he just doesn't really take company maybe maybe i don't know i mean it just makes more sense of him and lady reed's relationship yeah exactly it makes not that like a straight man and a straight woman can't have that kind of relationship because i have that type of relationship with many of guy friends i think it's she trusted him so completely like it wasn't she didn't have to work like there was a no worry because that's what i really value straight men friends are really hard to come by because you just never know what is expected and what's going to transcribe and it's better just to know if they're your friends or if they're not right right it's hard it's hard with straight men so he ended up showing up on like arsenio hall show and eventually was doing shows in vegas it said like when i read it which also throws me off of what I was hearing. I mean, it could be that he was bi, but his so-called daughter uprooted him from Vegas to Ohio, where he did die in 2017, I think it was. Oh, I feel like sexuality is so fluid, and most people who view sexuality as fluid... Yeah, I'm sorry, he died in 2008. Wow, that would have made him... He's born 81, in 1927. 81 years old. So he was. Wow, he um, lived a good life. He lived a good life. He I bet he was a party life. animal. <laughs> at, at, at his younger age, I'm sure. I mean, I, he. you guys got to remember, like, he was like 40, in his early 40s at this point when we're like seeing him. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're seeing him, like, hitting his midlife crisis kind of shit. Like, oh, shit, I didn't do what I came to set out here to do. What do I do? He lived... That's what I really... I, I love about... Appreciate about artists is that they find their own journey. And they that it shouldn't be expected when and how it happens. It just happens. And he finally found what he needed to do. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted to pursue. But he never could figure out that niche until he got that niche. And it was yeah. beautiful. And in real life, he ended up being friends with Eddie Murphy and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they ended up being friends. All of, yeah. That's too great. That's like too great. Well, he just had this way of like, and I think those men can relate. Like he he uses profanity in such a poetic way. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't 
doesn't seem like it at first, especially with the profanity. It's 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 beautiful. It is actually very beautiful and very rhythmic, and it's funny and it's enjoyable. And I think that you just have to appreciate that about it. And that's what those guys can do, especially. I mean, Eddie Murphy just he knows how to play with words. So watching him do this character was just so fun. He's just a ghetto poet. Yeah. He sounds like the drunk ass black dude on the corner who just be shouting some shit. Like that's what he sounds like to me. I don't know about like anybody else. Like he sounds like. Oh, yeah that but he also sounds like my dad who was a college student when the shit's going down and he's all about this like new wave of like profanity and <laughs> dirty comedy that he's i'm sitting in front of an actual record from this time i don't know if it was sold out of his fucking trunk or not he didn't I say know, he never right? met him he said he never met him but like i was just like you lived you went my dad went to college in the valley i'm like so you never went to la to go like see a premiere room i would have yeah right <laughs> are you kidding me so yeah that's a little bit of history on rudy ray moore the man that we are all here for because this movie's based on his real life. And I just can't, I had to throw this in here because I have a lot of, I know we usually say like, what's our favorite, our favorite quote from this. I have so many from this. It's just too funny. Put I have your to weight say on like, it. I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so good. But my, I really love it when he says, I can learn me to chop a motherfucker. <laughs> Do you know karate? No, but I'm a fast learner. I can learn how to chop me a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, do you know like, kung fu? He's like, no, but I'm a quick no, learner. I can, I can learn me to chop a motherfucker. It's so good, and he's so confident. Like, yeah. fuck it, and it leads to like my, my other favorite quote. What he says, he he says that quote. He's like, what planet is this cat on? What planet is this cat on? He's sitting over here with his flask in his hand. Is is there any way you can move the camera to make it look like he's really hitting him? And he's like, Is there any angle that you can shoot this where it looks like he's actually kicking him? There's no such angle. There's no such angle. There's no such angle (laughs) that can do that. I love it. And then when he and then Eddie Murphy looks at Wesley Snipes and he's just like, How how'd it go? What do you think? Do I look like Shane? He's just like (laughs) he goes, I see no reason to do it again again <laughs> and that was it and he's just stoked everyone's tony looks at tony and tony's like yeah like tony is this amazing okay he's his full support system he does so uh let's talk about our director Ooh, yeah let's get into it i'm down all right well hit me with it because i don't know too much about him dude craig brewer mm-hmm. uh, this was fun to dive into the films that he's already done. he We can thank him for Hustle and Flow. Yeah. Uh, in 2005, he came out uh, as the director and writer for that one. One of my personal favorites, 2006. Wait, he's a writer for that? Yeah. He's oh. a writer for Hustle and Flow. That makes me like him even more. Because I was Dude, like, yeah. one, he is our first white director in Black History Month. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to find movies that were really great that didn't necessarily have a white man behind the room. But this movie is just so good, and to know that he did another very good black movie, Hustle and Flow, yeah. that, uh, that helps. Oh, this is, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this movie, but I love this movie. In 2006, he did Black Snake Moan. I, I, oh. motherfucker, you don't think I like me some <laughs> oh my Samuel God, Jackson? Love, love that. And Him and Christina Ricci, Christina oh my Ricci, God. Yeah. 
And Justin Timberlake's weirdly in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, JT. That's right. Um, but the soundtrack to that movie is incredible. He soundtrack. also was the writer and director for that film. Okay. Boom. I, I know. Like it. And then you throw in, he's the writer for The Legend of Tarzan in 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, this, <laughs> this makes sense because this movie is the first movie that he has ever directed that he didn't write. This one specifically? Yeah. This is his first movie with Netflix. Yeah, this is his first movie with Netflix. Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense why uh, everything he's done is he's written. This is the first one. It's his first movie to be made with Netflix. And hopefully yeah. many more. Netflix, hopefully. They let you do what you want to do, I guess. <laughs> and it's super exciting because he's apparently going to... He's the director for uh, Coming to America. Yes. That's going to be so neat to see him and Eddie Murphy working it. They must loved working... Like, Eddie must have like requested him personally, obviously, because... But what was really cool is, this is another thing, Craig Brewer also did a uh, directing of a bunch of Empire episodes, especially in, like, their heyday episodes, so you and I were definitely watching that. It was amazing. Okay, so he he is in tune with the black community. I like that. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting our stories be told. And you do a great job. He does a good job at telling it because, hey, girl, Mm -hmm. this movie's amazing. Hustle All Flow's amazing. And we like Empire. So, yeah. I feel you. Bolstering up all of us put together. like. And it also means that he knows how to shoot black people. That was... That's racist. That line. Look, man, you need a DP that knows how to shoot black people. Oh, oh, man. That's some racist shit you're talking about. No, it's not. It's not racist. It's a fact. Look, look, look. Black people absorb light. White people will reflect light. It's a cinematical reality. No, it's, not. it's fact. <laughs> yeah. And it is fact, you guys. It is a completely different to light a black person than a white person. And it's kind of hard <laughs> to light a, a scene that has a black person and a white person in it to have them look good evenly. So if you do find a person who is a good cinematographer who can... Uh, film somebody who has a little more melanin in their skin find them and stick with them otherwise we look blown out and you know it just looks weird they can make cinematical reality yeah what is that from? <laughs> i love i love when he comes out with that You're he's like, like it's a, it's a cinematical reality i was like oh he just laid it down that's because <laughs> like, he's drunk so... bitch he's I, know. I don't know what's in that flask but his ass is drunk is drunk every and he does a lot of cocaine. He oh, definitely yeah, he was at, that yeah, pinky was ring and like mm. whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. It was a seventies bitch. I think he did a great ex- job. I think it was beautifully shot. I think it was greatly cast. He was mm-hmm. a good glue to hold all this shit together and you know, work hand in hand with Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy wanted to make this into a movie for about a decade before, you know, we got this. Exactly. And we're going to talk about him definitely in the future for sure. Coming to America, we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to. Well, yes. It, so. Coming yeah. to. And I Coming want to, I want to do Hustle and Flow. Yeah. Yeah. Or Black Snake Moan. Like, oh, Black oh. Snake Moan. So oh, I love that movie. Yeah. I, there's just so many, so many prospects with this director. He's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So as we move on, are you ready for some AKAs. <gasps> yes, I was hoping that there was gonna be a yes. Okay, 
okay, yes, give it to me. I Fuck truly do else. not believe that the AKAs are any better than our Waiting to Exhale ones. Because those are really fucking good. But I'm going to tell you, uh, the majority of the names for this movie was My Name is Donalmite. Or okay. like in Spain. So if you grab your cup of Between the Sheets and travel your way to Spain and quite other countries in the world it would be called i am donalmite okay which is true because i personally kept calling and saying like i am donalmite or my name is donalmite like i kept saying those things um yeah so i could totally see that if you go to taiwan it's called my name is domet it's d-o-m-e-t no that's what it's called. So it's not even spelled Donamite. I don't know what that one is, Taiwan. I think it's pretty funny because you don't even spell it. Everybody else spelled Dolomite, like, f- phonetically, but you, like... Well, because it's an actual, like, element. It's a name. Like, it's someone's <laughs> it's name. name, bitch. You can't change somebody's name. If you go to Turkey with your Between the Sheets cocktails, Ooh. they will be calling this movie, They Call Me Dolomite. I get that one. What my favorite though is that like, cause the whole we know because Dolomite is my name and fucking motherfuckers is my my game. game. Yes. So we understand like we like it's a rhyme like that's the whole point. It's the rap. So it's really funny that they kind of Dolomite the like how what are they gonna rhyme with Dolomite? They didn't like just said call me Dolomite. <laughs> just call me Dolomite. A Domet. <laughs> Domet. Oh Domet. Oh, Domet. Okay. So, so Domet, you... what are you doing? <laughs> you motherfucking Donomet. <laughs> so if you happen to go to Japan, they would call this movie Rudy Ray Moore. Oh, yeah. I actually dig that because it's totally a biopic. Like, I, can, I get behind that one. I like that one. Very, I can, very classy. I can dig it. Mm. I can dig it. Ooh. <laughs> they definitely put some weight on that one. Mm. They put some weight on it. And yeah. the last one is if you went to Mexico, they would call it Dolomite. So apparently they don't have the original Dolomite there or they it was never released there. They don't know about it. So they just call it Dolomite, which makes sense, except that it probably doesn't make sense once they see the movie and they're like, oh, shit, there's a real movie named <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> but, you know, either way, the story is getting out there. I love it. I do like the Rudy Ray more, but the call me Dubot, or my name is Dubet, Dumet is, uh, Dumet. It's funny to me. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And so that's a little bit of my AKAs, my also known as around the world. AKAs. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So our star, Mr. Eddie Murphy, we've talked about numerous times on this show as yes. in our coming to America life harlem nights and dream girls so we have Uh talked about him quite a few times on the show so if you want to know any more fun facts about him i would say go listen to those if you want to know some real deep cut fun facts i'd say listen to coming to america especially before the movie comes out so many fun facts on that one he was so young in that too 20 years old he was super young it's so funny oh my god so eddie murphy is probably the funniest man on earth I don't know. Personally, I would say it's between him and Bill Murray. They are hilarious to me. I, don't, I can't <laughs> do this. They're just too much. 
Both. I mean, Robin Williams is up there for me. Oh, he's up there too. He's Eddie Murphy. Like, he's on his own plane of existence for sure. And he was a big fan of Dolomite growing up. He said his older friends and brothers got him into it. And I think that's why this movie is dedicated to Charlie Murphy, who's Eddie Murphy's brother. Charlie Murphy! Oh my God. I loved that at the end. It made me like yeah. cry a little. I was like, he passed oh, that's away sweet. a couple years ago from yeah. uh, some sort of cancer, I believe. So it was a year before they started filming this. Uh, and he just, you know, he had a connection to this. I feel like the reason why he did dedicated to him is because I feel like Charlie, who is his older brother, you know, helped him right. get into this. Hey, hey, man, listen to this. They probably did it together. Together. This was a project that I could totally see that if if Charlie Murphy was still alive, Mike Epps would have been Charlie Murphy. Yes. That, no, absolutely. I also love the like I, I was kind of getting the feeling when I was like after I watched it the, the third time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> There's that scene where it's his first night and he put up the money to put on his film. And the little boy's going up and he's like, I'll get one ticket. All right, six. I'll get six tickets. You still need to pay for your own shit. Like, he's all pissed. Yeah. And And he's like, oh my God. A part of you realizes, like, he was exactly the same way with all of his friends back at the diner and all this shit. You know, like, he's always buying shit and taking care of it. But then... Until he runs out of money, then he's like, you niggas pay for your own shit. (laughs) You can buy your own strawberries. Buy your own strawberries, motherfucker. Strawberry shortcake. (laughs) He's like, damn. Damn. Rudy, you're the comeback kid. I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you... Dude, Tony's just sitting there like, another dramatic moment. Probably. He's like a sweet, uh, like a 70s queen. He's just like, oh, yeah, God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I love seeing that. Because he talks about an interview. Like, he went and saw this movie in th- like in theaters, and he saw it. That had to be something that him and his brother probably did. Like, his yeah. brother bought him the ticket because he was older. And he's like, yeah, man, yeah. we're going to go see this movie together. And you're like, oh, my God. Nice tribute. I love it. I mm-hmm. think that they did a great job in this movie. And Eddie Murphy was something that for about a decade he was talking with Rudy about making and how he really wanted to do this and it just was never the right time and the right Mm -hmm. you know director and right script and you know to make a really good movie it takes time it takes a lot more time than most people even think but Eddie Murphy and the entire cast talked about how much they loved the costumes in this movie they love the costumes they love the sets like they just really felt like engulfed into the seventies, where some of them weren't even like born or didn't really remember the seventies. Like so, it wasn't like they could draw from their most experience. But mm-hmm. for the most part, all of their costumes were personally made for this movie, which is something that is so gorgeous. Everybody looks that- so cool, seventies, you know, mm-hmm. tacky ass. Black and white checkered knitted sweater, some mm-hmm. bell bottoms with some denim patches of different patterns, like you know yeah. the patterns oh and the capes and the hair. All that shit was like pretty much, for the most part, made for the movie. The only thing mm-hmm. that really wasn't made for the movie were the shoes. Oh, the shoes God. were vintage the shoes. shoes. Oh no! And Eddie Murphy found out the hard way that these old vintage shoes from the seventies were not made for fifty-eight-year-olds to be walking down the street in. They're made for twenty-eight-year-olds to be walking down the street in. Oh, and God. he fucking would ask the director constantly, like, "So are we doing like a full shot? Like, are my feet in the shot?" 
Mm-hmm. Because if they were, he'd have to wear these shoes, and if they weren't, he wouldn't have to wear the shoes. So he oh he had to 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 deal with that, and I think that is just h- hilarious. I understand because I would have been Someone... like, I want vintage everything, and then I would have got vintage everything and been like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> that would have been me because I love vintage. Someone get Mr. Murphy some insoles, please. They eventually <laughs> end up using some sort of Adidas that, from a distance, mm. look like they were platforms. But up close, ah. you would be like, motherfucker, you wearing Adidas? Like, so. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Ruthie Carter is the costume designer. She is. And she's, it's a, she was a, it's award-winning. Like, she it got is. for the Critics' Choice for mm-hmm. this film. And um, I really love her. Shout out because she was the costume designer for Black Panther, Ooh, Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever. Dude, the costumes in that movie is, I hope she's coming back for the next one. She did a great she's job. She's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of the costumes. Lady Reed's costumes. My Oh, I want everything that she has. That that yellow outfit oh she God, wears with like the little cape. Oh, yes. oh my God. I need that Beautiful. in my Lord. I fucking loved it. I fucking loved it. I got a little fun fact. This is actually Eddie Murphy's first film. To be rated R since 1999's life. Which we've done. So we did Which his last did. one and his latest one. Knew it. Most recent. Yeah. Of his R-rated films. Fun fact. Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes have never worked together. This is their first time. But they both have desperately wanted to work with each other. Even Wesley Snipes auditioned for Coming to America to play Lisa's boyfriend, the Soul Glow guy. And he didn't get it. And he said that he went home and... He, it not getting the coming to America kind of made him want to quit acting altogether before we even knew who this amazing man is. And he, he really dealt with it really hard. Like, man, why didn't they pick me? Why didn't they pick me? And here we are in 2019. And he says this to Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy was like, the reason why we didn't pick you is because you looked too close to me. Like we looked too much alike and you looked more African than I did. So we oh had to God. get rid of you because of that. And he's like, man, Wesley Snipes like, man, if you would have yeah. told me that, I wouldn't have been like so angsty about it and just like feeling he could have quit and we could have never had any blade or fucking waiting uh, to exhale or white man can't jump or any of these fucking movies of his oh that we God. fucking love. We would have never Fu. had two Wong Fu. We would have never had any of these if he would have gave up after that for some oh really small gosh. reason as in you look more African than I do, which is totally true. He does look more African than him. And it's hard because there's those those limitations in Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. constantly you, you. It's crazy to think that that would be a problem, but it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know why the smallest things. You look too much like your lead actor, and you look too <laughs> African. Like you know, <laughs> these just small things. And uh, well, I can't change that. So. I can't change it. So I'm just gonna deal with it. And uh, this is the first of. Two so far movies that Wesley Snipes and Eddie Murphy are starring in because Wesley Snipes will be the bad guy in Coming to America. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. It's going to be so great. And seeing those two together, which we can just segue into Wesley Snipes now at this point. Like, why don't we just do it? The next person Uh, that we've talked about the most on this show. 
combo together the chemistry that they have is absolutely excellent like i enjoy every single interaction between him and rudy it just they're so funny and i want his clothes i want every single costume that uh, was given to Wesley Snipes. Like I need it. Like the he parasol. Does have some really, the parasol. Who t- no the, one said there was no splash in. There's the, in no the splash in the script. Show me where it says it? splash. In the script. I have only seen Dolomite once, and that was last night. It's not like something that I didn't know who he was. I had seen many of clips. And heard many of stories about this movie. And, you know, I feel like i kind of seen it. Like, I knew what the movie was about before I saw it. But last night was the first time that I saw it. And it's really funny. These are the first independent filmmakers ever. Yeah. So they have I to know. make all of the mistakes they that independent it, yeah. filmmakers make. Mm-hmm. This movie was eventually ended up being on DVD. In the early 2000s, it eventually came onto the DVD scene. And when you could see it, there's two different versions of this movie. Because there's the original version where these people really didn't know what they were doing. Because you had a bunch of film student kids and people who would never been actors. They're just your friend or your neighbor or somebody that somebody else knows that came to be an extra. Strippers or their Rudy's friend in general. So... This film was very low budget, not only in money-wise and talent-wise, but, like, behind-the-camera-wise, as in, if there's two different versions of the... There's three, technically three different versions of this movie, okay? That's amazing. So, there is the original version, which okay. shows boob mics coming from the top and bottom, depending on where in the mm-hmm. movie that they're doing this. And then there's, like, another version that shows even more of the boom mics... And then there's another version. Which it has its own charm. It really it does, does have a charm. And then they have another version that shows not only the boom mics, but pretty much the motherfuckers holding the boom mics, camera operators. Like, you can see heads of people. So if you want to watch this movie where it has that version of it, which I think is very funny... And the version I watched was like the middle version where you could still see the boom, but it wasn't like outrageously the boom. Oh, I love it. You can watch it and it's called like Dolomite the Boom Edition because you (laughs) get the booms. It made it more. Yeah. (laughs) Makes it more clear that there are booms present. Lenny, it's not just the booms. You can see the crew yeah, the, the people the you crew. can see the crew it is the most funniest shit of the world so if you buy it on dvd you can watch it in different formats that'll cut it closer so that you can't see the boom people but like that's the charm of this movie at the point is that it's just mm-hmm. so ridiculous and when i told lenny that we were doing this movie like she said she had never seen this movie before and she was like she was like are you talking about black dynamite and i was like no, 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 no. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about a movie about the dude who inspired Black Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and that movie is a great homage to not only black exploitation movies as a whole, but literally Black Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> With the kung fu and the afros and the jive talk and the, you know, low budget, you know, boom mics falling down and hitting mm-hmm. somebody and it's changing completely a uh, different actors to, like just very funny things it like was a that. very true homage to very. to this 
Rudy, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, it, it was kind of beautiful. Realizing and recognizing it now, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's even funnier and, now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I will say, unfortunately, I've never, I still haven't seen an entire version of Dolomite. I found a version yesterday on YouTube. It showed titties okay. and ass and everything. I mean, I think that it's a great movie. It's an homage to that time period. It's something that as us as millennials or model day filmmakers we don't personally think about because we don't have to deal with certain things like this fool ran out of film we don't even know what that feels like because if we ran out of anything is space on a card that i could upload onto a hard drive to clear it and then we can like nothing is as to the point as like look we can't make the movie anymore even though you're not paying us, we can't make the movie anymore because we have zero film. Like, that's no. something that we don't even get to, like, we don't the even The only time I could relate to something like that is when, at one point, there was no space left on your phone. And you have to go back and, like, delete the messages yeah. and, like, photos because there was no space on the phone. But now that's even obsolete because we have iCloud yeah. and we have all of the, and Drive, the mm. Dropbox. Like, it's, it's unnecessary for sure. But it just... It it keeps the the jokes alive for sure. It it has a connection. It just makes me feel blessed that I am in a time period that we are in. Yes. Uh, yeah, oh my god, yes. To oh make films. my god, yes. I mean, there are films out there that are made completely on iPhones. Like that's mm-hmm. it. It's on mm-hmm. an iPhone. And it's these people had to use these that's huge ass cameras with legit physical film (laughs) i can't even imagine i can't even i mean i i spoke with smashley and she told me "Mm, maybe about two years ago or a year and a half ago she talks about how she worked on a commercial that wanted to feel very retro and they used film and the technique and the what they had to go through just because it was film was like bananas that's something mm -hmm. i like i hadn't really thought about because i've been a filmmaker through the digital age, so I never had yeah. to worry about this stuff. By the time I decided to make films, everything's digital. I don't. There's no such thing as running out of film. There isn't. <laughs> there really isn't. I mean, I was really lucky because I got to play with film a lot when I was a manager at a, a movie theater. I did that as and, well, so I got to learn the splicing. And I, yeah, I got to learn splicing from this uh, manager, Leatherby. He was the projectionist uh, manager. There's an art to it, and that's when you get to really appreciate what the film is. And when he makes that line, he's like, but if there's no film, there's no movie. We're on your side, but if there's no film in the camera, there's, there's no movie. And he's right there with him. The character Nick, he's the young UCLA art film student. Who's okay, one, a... before, I love his like line where he's like, Dolomite is my name and fuck it up, motherfucker, is my game. And he's like, Nick Von Sternberg is my name and UCLA Film film School is a place that I, it's, it's my school. UCLA is where, it, it's my school. <laughs> yeah, like, he has no, none of that. None of that. It makes me laugh so much. I'm like, you're such an awkward kid. I love you. So I love much. it. You it's look like you're really definitely cute. in art school. Like, you definitely Absolutely. look like an art school student absolutely absolutely (laughs) and it just shows the dedication of like his crew is like no we're here for you man like we want to do this film we're enjoying making this film but like no film no movie 
Because I can't tell you, I mean, like, yeah, when you're an art student, you will sign on to any movie to do anything Mm -hmm. just to be in the mix. You know, he had these kids who were in Jerry's acting class pull these kids in. Uh I have seen this movie and this movie is very cheesy. Like I said, there's like boom mics. It's very low budget, but you can see the passion is there. The passion is there to make yeah. this movie. And that's what just kind of gets you going. It's so good. And I love the character, uh, Jerry Jones. Like he's he's so, he, the combination that he has with Rudy is just so good. And Jerry Jones does appear in Dolomite, the real movie. He appears as yeah. like an FBI agent who's like a cop that's on Dolomite's side. Um, yeah. But it did help me understand that genre of movies, the way mm-hmm. that they are. Because you got to think of it this way. Black people never got nurtured in their film or writing or directing career this was ever. Sparking, yeah. Because this like was we sparking talk- a generation to be able to do so. Without these movies, there would be no like fucking Malcolm X. There would be mm-hmm. no like fucking Black Panthers. These movies that are made by like strong black directors there'd be no scandal there'd be no fucking Grey's anatomy without these fucking movies because we had to see that we could do this before we could do this you mm-hmm. know and so we, we yeah. have to pay homage to these movies because they are very cheesy they're not the best acting you know they're not the best sets their their clothes are always the best i don't give a fuck which one you watch oh yeah no. if you like Those... 70s clothes they always have the best Always good. Always good. The styling is always good. Why don't we talk about the lady of the house? Mm, tell me about yeah. her because I don't know much about her. Do you know much? Uh, yeah, I know. Actually, uh, she's amazing. I loved watching her in the You're Gonna Make Fun of Me. Selfie was a television show uh, in 2014 with uh, Karen Gillian. But Divine Joy Randolph, she's actually a really beautiful actress. She started off on Broadway. Uh, of was course. nominated. Like of course, right? She was nominated for an Antoinette Perry Award. Ooh, for a her- Tony girl. Oh, I know. I know how much you love your Antoinettes. I do love my Antoinettes. So she was nominated for uh, Best Performance as a Featured Actress in 2012's Ghost the Musical. Molly, you in danger, girl. Oh, my God. As our girl, Oda Mae Brown. Yep. She played the whoopee. I didn't even know that was a stage play. Yeah, it was a musical. (laughs) That sounds weird. It still tours. I mean, it, it was touring. I mean, nothing um, tours anymore because the world Nothing's touring right now. I know. Don't worry. It'll come back. Molly. It'll come back. You in danger, girl. You in danger, girl. <laughs> when are we going to do that movie? That's such a great movie. I love that movie so much. I love that movie Ghost so much. Ghost is one of my fucking favorites. Patrick Swayze, Whoopi Goldberg together. They were so funny. But she is a Yale drama graduate. Um, Whoa, yeah. smart bitch. Absolutely. She, it's... This is one of a really big performances for her. Uh, she is known for thanking Eddie Murphy for giving her this opportunity. She loved the character. She loved the depth that she could go into. Because before this, I mean, we weren't getting too many big projects from her. She was mainly like television and theater. But then she did the office Christmas party. She got like really into it. Uh, that was like the biggest mainstream <gasps> movie. But um, don't let she's not going to be a sleeper. She's going to be out and about. She's a, an incredible actress. She is um, beautiful. She is curvaceous. She oh, feels yeah. so real. Um, she is. She just it's just 
Apparently she was on This Is Us. I don't know how much she was on there, but she is amazing. I did see a... She did only like a... It was a short stint. Like she, she was on like a couple of episodes. I did watch an interview with her and pretty much the all of the main cast. My and God. she did she did thank Eddie Murphy straight up like, thank you mm-hmm. for giving me this job because she said they're a lot like her character. She said that she didn't see a lot of characters on television or a movie that look like her and as a black woman with this you know actress the sides for us are not always the best it's usually the sassy black sidekick friend or Mm -hmm. you know the you know cussing ghetto ass bitch you know Mm -hmm. she said when she read the side for lady reed it read way different than that um, she didn't explain what it read, but it to me, what it sounded like, it read like, you know, a woman who has a passionate relationship with a straight with a man that is strictly a friendship who has to deal with her courage. I don't know. I don't know what her side said for what her character was, but whatever it was, it drawed her to this character and made her really want to be it. So she mm-hmm. did you know, within tears in her eyes. Thank Eddie Murphy. Like, thank you for giving me this role. And so did Titus. Like, thank you. Because I know Titus Burgess got really humble and was like, that was the one thing I needed to learn in my career is to just sit down and and listen and shut up (laughs) and just watch people work. Mm-hmm. And, and he called him it a master class yeah. from Eddie Murphy. I was like, I Dude, believe that's it what too. I was like, Girl, yeah. you know me, I would be sitting in a fucking quarter with a notebook writing every shit down. <laughs> like I would be like, yeah. what what is he, he said this, he did this, this is what you need. Like I would have mm-hmm. like had a straight ass journal for this movie. Because exactly. there there is so much learning. And they all said mm-hmm. that they learned so much from Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes, who are like, you know, the veteran actors out of the crew, even though, you yeah. know, we do have like Craig Robertson and uh Keegan Michael Keeg. And, you know, all these people, we have all these people who have been working forever, you know. Forever. It's a great cast. It's a great cast. Very seasoned cast of different, like, different areas and different timelines, Mm -hmm. for sure. They have a full range of, like, people that are really new to it, people that have been marinating for a while, and then people who have just, like, created the industry. For everybody. And, and to have yeah. Snipes and, I mean, Eddie Murphy obviously was, like, the king of it all. Oh, yeah. It was, and she just, from what I was getting, she just really, the whole cast had such a great experience together. They did. They all talked about how, like, this, it seemed like the, all of the main cast really enjoyed making this and enjoyed mm-hmm. making it with their cast and crew. That Yeah this will stick with them as one of their favorite movies that they made. Like that, that's what it felt like. And I, and I really love it because I think that it, it totally shows everybody's dynamic and love for this movie. Like the whole sex scene, seeing everybody's individual, what they were doing, you know, Craig Robinson's rocking the bed. Shaking the bed. Yeah. And she's like <laughs> pulling the pictures, you know, like, so yeah, they, 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 they enjoyed and learned all different things and different levels from each other. I fucking love it. I do love it where she looks at him. She's like, blow that shit up. Blow that shit up. And he's like, and Keegan, yeah, and then Keegan, Keegan he's like, "What is this?" Wait, I wrote a really tender romantic scene. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have told his ass either. 
It was so good. <laughs> so good. It was so good. And then it's actually one of like the kindest moments too. Cause like they all laugh. Everybody. <laughs> and cast crew. Even to Herbal is like Well, I don't know if it was tender any I don't know if it was sexy, but it was funny as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. <laughs> I know. Lady Reader was like high fiving him, like, yes, yeah. bitch. It was. You can't get away from you it. Can't. You can't get away so, from uh, it. It's, it was too good. It was too good. I they, love her they... and I can't wait to see her and more. I think yes. that every piece of clothing that she wore, I need. Oh, I know. I right? mean, minus the very first outfit you see her in, I don't need that. Oh, I don't know. But I'd take it. Everything... I gotta do something around chores around the house. I mean. That's true. I do need that for a, a house dress because I'm a straight up old lady house dress lady. So Moomoo's yeah, rule. I don't Moomoo's like, rule. Moomoo's rule. You know. But uh, yeah, that's just a little bit of the uh, divine that we'll talk about now. I I pray definitely... and hope to see her again because she's just like yeah. too amazing. She's amazing. I love her, and I'm excited to see more from her for sure. Okay, so. Are you ready for a fun fact? Yeah, yes. give me a fun fact. So are you ready to talk about the star of this movie? Ooh, who's the star of this movie? The Dunbar Hotel. You see this building over here? That's the Dunbar Hotel. That used to be the center of black arts entertainment. And it's located at 4225 Central Avenue in Los Angeles, California. And wow. it was built in 1928 by John and Vada Summer uh, Valley. And these people are pretty, like, <laughs> I'm about to like break you off with some fucking herstory. Get ready. Okay, I'm sorry. Get okay, ready. I'm ready. So she, Vada, was the first black woman to get a doctor degree in dental surgery from oh. the University of California, USC. And John, he was the first black man to graduate, period, from USC. And these were like some smart-ass, rich-ass, bomb-ass black people who decided to build this hotel. And it was originally called the Sunvel Hotel before it was changed to the Dunbar Hotel. And the building of this hotel was completely, entirely from like contractors to laborers to craftsmen to financing was done by black people, bitches. And this is in the late 20s that, you know, we made sure that we were, you know, building this. And so they finally opened up in uh, 1928 and it was known in los angeles as pretty much the only hotel in la that catered to black patrons so it was the first ah. luxury hotel that was open to black people so all of the great black people would come to here to stay when they would come into los angeles in 1928 it held the first NAACP conference on the West Coast. This fucking building. So Whoa. it's in the history books on that one. Hell yeah, it is. So Fuck yeah. Yeah. And so this 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 building is a lot like what the bum said, which was like the central place for black culture. Because it through the thirties and forties, it was 
literally where everybody who was anybody in black culture would come if they ever came to Los Angeles. So like wow. some of the people that would stay there would be like Billie Holiday, Duke Ellington. I saw Duke Ellington there, Billie Holiday. Uh, oh Louis Armstrong, Lena Horne, Red Fox, Josephine Baker, Thurgood Marshall, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, Ray Charles, all of these people and more would stay at this hotel because it was the most fanciest luxury hotel for Negroes in Los Angeles. What history at this place? Oh my God. Yeah. So the bum that Eddie Murphy talks to when he's looking for Rico mm -hmm. to get his story, yeah. he tells him like, so, you know, this place used to be, but now it's just filled with bums. It eventually ended up being sold to white people in the early thirties. So that kind of like Ew. tore down the like level of this place. But by that time they realized that they had a niche in LA and they kept it that way so they never changed it and eventually in the early 30s I think it was 1931 they got a permit to do live shows at the venue and so they oh, would okay. have like a cabaret but eventually ended up turning into a nightclub that had all of those famous people that I just named to you perform there who are big time in the jazz scene and yeah. you know this this was their those are their, their, yeah, they're pretty much hang out. So it, it went along like that until about the 50s when, unfortunately, I'm going to say fortunately, we started integrating blacks and whites together. So there really was no need for an all black luxury hotel because, hey girl, now we can kind of, kind of, I say, go into yes. these, you know, fabulous hotels mm -hmm. and so the hotel kind of died down got run down eventually ended up having you know bums and crackheads and all those people in it until uh -huh. we get to about the 70s when rudy talks to uh, the owner at the time of the building and says hey girl if i pr plan on staying here and running off all your crackheads and making sure your building is not being like burnt down by them trying to cook food and do shit. Can I stay here for free and kind of film here for free? Which the owner said, yeah, yeah. And this is where literally the majority of the actual Dolomite movie is filmed. All of the whorehouse, the offices, the jail, jail cell and the warden's office and all of these different places are pretty much used on the bottom level of the building where he was staying and all these were turned into it. He did literally sleep in the buildings <laughs> to like he says in the movie. I mean, I would too. It's so cool. It's yeah. such a cool building. So that really did happen. It ended up eventually after he was done using it because he filmed all pretty much all of his movies that he filmed in the 70s were filmed in this building. He oh, turned okay. it into his own stu sound that studio. That makes sense. Just makes like sense. we talked about on Home Alone and Uncle Buck with John Hughes, how he bought out an abandoned building and basically made all of Home Alone inside a school. All of Bu yeah. Uncle Buck in a school. And it was... This is something that happened before that. This Rudy already had thought about doing that shit, and that's where we get all these black exploitation movies from. Is from him. It's all from him. 
an innovative, beautiful filmmaker who wouldn't take no for an answer. Would not take no for an answer. And so he um, eventually after he ended up not being there anymore, kind of went into disarray. Part of the building was turned into a black history museum sort of thing Um, but then that ended up going down once the 80s and crack came you know the whole part of the neighborhood turned very dark gangs gangs were using the building for you know drug use and stuff like that just like kind of how we talked about on new jack city where they took over a whole like kind of complex kind of deal but eventually the city of Los Angeles moved in there and was like, get the fuck out of here, bitch. We need to do something with this shit. We can't have you just gang banging and holding this whole area unlocked. So Mm -hmm. they turned that beautiful building into low-income senior assistant living uh, buildings. So as we speak right now, it is filled with low-income senior citizens who are living there, which I personally am happy about. Because yeah, when I first it protects started, the building. And... It protects the building. And when I was first reading about how like it was redone, I initially thought like, oh God, we just fucking turned this into expensive loss for like, you know, white people to live in. But no, it's for no. old senior citizens who would appreciate. Are living of, on a budget. Who are living on a budget. The place looks so gorgeous from the pictures that I've seen. And, Aww. you know, they do appreciate, you know, the legends that have stood stayed in this hotel that they live in now yeah so cute yeah so, so cute. i love that that story about the the building and, it, and now being inhabited by senior citizens we got to figure out how to get our names on the list so when we're old we can live there and see That'd like cool. billy holiday fucking uh you know worm in the halls Mm-hmm. I love it. I was hoping that you were going to do something about the hotel because it's such a good. And then when the scene when they're he's like, can't somebody just go out there and hook up to the electricity or something? He's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. Just, <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. Gone. Like, I love gone, it. Gone out there. And then it's just so magical. It's like. Oh, the lights come on. And the lights come on. When I was doing research, the set, they were having a good time. Everyone had a good time. I believe because the majority of the cast, you haven't seen the movie, but the majority of the cast besides the crooked cops who are black. So they feel like they had a good time in that sense. Oh my God. I love that scene with uh, Divine and the white guy. And he's just like, oh yeah, I play a rapist. I play a Ku Klux Klan member. I played the plantation owner at the Ebony Showcase. I played a Southern lyncher at the Cultural Center, and I played a rapist oh, wow. at the Wilshire Ebel. Okay. Uh, so you just basically figured out what you're good at, huh? Like, he's going on and on. She's like, like, wow, you really found something you're good at. He's like, look, <laughs> all these black-ass movies need a white villain, and a I got that villain. face for the I white villain. Look. So. Yeah. I go over there, anytime you need a white person to tell you no and to call you a nigga, that's me. And I do such a good, you got to find your niche, whatever it is, whatever it is. So let's kind of talk about like uh, my office favorite, Craig Robinson. Oh my God, Craig, the beautifully musically talented Craig Robinson. Of course he would be the musical person in this yeah. movie. He's bad. He's also the musical. He, he's the music oh. guy in Walk Hard. You he know, is he, he sings in Out of oh Paper, Out of Stock. Out of Stock. The friendliest place around the block. 
separate you from the chain that is causing you pain. <laughs> Dunder Mifflin, the people, person, paper, people. Dunder Mifflin. He really gets me in Zach and Mary make a porno. Mm. Which That's Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, I think, is also somebody that gets a lot of inspiration from Rudy because he has that same like independent throwout kind of vulgar a little bit characters that just like say it all balls ass ass balls like yeah i could see that and i can also see him watching it he seems like oh i'm sure very smart another director who is also influenced a lot by these movies would be quentin tarantino bitch we wouldn't have jackie brown without this movie you absolutely see even kill bill kill bill with the whole kung fu it's like I mean, it's he obviously holds so much respect for, and I think that's why I love Quentin Tarantino so much. Okay, so um, let's move on to Keegan Michael Key. We've yeah. talked about his other half, I guess, in Get Out and Us from Key and Peel. Um, yeah. But this dude has been working in the biz since the very early 90s, showing up Mm on, you know, bit parts on, like, ER, and he was in Mr. 3000 with Bernie Mac, which I fucking love. I love that movie. But Oh, that movie's so good. It's so good. Uh, He showed up in places like Role Models. Role Models. But I remember him the most from... Mad TV, that's the very first time that I saw him from 2004, I guess 2009, is that what it was? But him and Key and Peele were both on Mad TV. They would do, like, Mm -hmm. characters who were, like, black fraternity people who would be like, And they would do, like, a bunch of claps and, like, hand size. So that's, like, the very first thing that I ever remember him in is Mad TV. Both of them, to be honest with you. He did a couple episodes on Reno 911. Uh, mm-hmm. He was in Due Day and Just Get With It. He literally is probably one of the most popped-up black comedians from the early 2000s to now. He pops up literally everywhere he popped up on wilford and the league and how i met your mother and he did some voiceover in lego movie he was did an episode in the middle like this dude turns up everywhere let's be cops i fucking love him in that he's like fucking hilarious but i love him absolutely love him in parks and rec because he plays the best (laughs) mate for donna he because he's just too perfect he's Uh, too perfect as the teacher as the teacher he's done an episode on always sunny in philadelphia he was in pitch perfect too he does voiceover Mm And Bojack Horseman, he was in Vacation. This fool shows up everywhere. He's in everywhere. Everywhere. He's in everywhere. And we can't forget the Key and Peele TV show that came out from 2012 to 2015. Yeah. Bitch. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. Um, and after that, like, literally, he fucking popped up in everywhere, like, from... Bob and Dave, Modern Family, The Muppet Show. Then they end up doing their own Keanu. You remember, did, mm-hmm. you, did you see Keanu? I 
Love Keanu. I love Keanu. I think that is such a good movie. Uh, Why Him, The Simpsons. This fool is everywhere. And I love him. He has a, I believe, a white mom and a black dad. So he is totally mixed. And he, I saw in the interview where he was talking about how he usually is in a group of all white comedians. And he is the token in his group of friends of white comedians and that that's kind of where he always falls into roles that he gets but it wasn't until he actually got to be in this movie that he felt that connection with other black i mean you're working with the eddie murphy you're working with the wesley snipes you're working Mm -hmm. with the like it's just so crazy how many people that he had to work with that he said that like working here was like he also said it was like a master class and that Uh. he felt like he was learning so much stuff from like Eddie Murphy and Craig Robinson, Wesley Snipes and Mike Epps who are like you know huge comedian icons in their own rights and you know he broke down how he saw improving through Eddie Murphy's eyes. He was like, Eddie Murphy, you improv, but you don't improv to just like go wild and just like spit a bunch of shit. You improv to make this scene better, to add to the scene. And when he's explaining what he saw of Eddie Murphy's way of breaking down a scene and improving, Eddie Murphy was surprised. He was like, I didn't even realize I was fucking doing that. Like <laughs> that wasn't something I even knew was a I didn't know. I just do yeah. me. But he's just like, then you're just fucking brilliant. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're brilliant. And you helped me, like, learn timing. Like you said, Titus felt like he should have sat back and just, like, listened and watched these great people yeah. work to learn. I also feel like Keegan felt the same way, even though we think Keegan is just so brilliant. I mean, he's been in over 100 things. Mm-hmm. And he's, but he's- hilarious. He's hilarious, but see, he's also like a sketch improvisational Mm -hmm. actor. So he understands and has that humbled respect for people, especially an SNL alumni. The alumni, like the most famous Saturday Night Live person to ever come off that cast is Uh Eddie Murphy. He's the most famous. And this movie, I love it because I feel like it brought Eddie Murphy back to us. The Eddie Murphy that we all know and love. This opened the door. Obviously, we're still waiting at this moment for Mm -hmm. coming to America. But right after him doing this movie, he did Saturday Night Live for the first time in like 40 years. Like, like he like legit came back to his roots. And it was a really good episode. It was funny. And it was Mm -hmm. like their highest viewed episode in like since their... 40th anniversary episode like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was the most viewed yeah i feel like this movie brought us our old eddie murphy back yeah can i give you a a fun uh close encounters oh my god uh king michael uh, key i ran into him on a subway he believe it or not in uh, new york in new york city when i was working on fifth ave I was taking the yellow line, the end train, and I was going south towards 42nd Street. 
And he, I got on and was dancing, listening to my music. I was completely oblivious. I'd just gotten off of work. So I was like, woo! And like, I was just like jamming out. All of a sudden I turn around and there he is in a tan suit talking with someone when he had a portfolio in his hand, like having a casual conversation, not sitting or anything because he obviously was in a really nice suit. <laughs> he was going to a meeting of some kind and they were like being like hush hush about it. But I was just like, oh my God. Because I had just been like dancing and shaking it. You know me, I don't care. Like you I'm don't. just like dancing. And then I looked and I was like, oh, shit. And I just looked over. And then he looked at me and I was like, I made that face. I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, shit. And he just, he just like, and just like got off the train at 42nd Street. Oh, my God. I've been f- fans of him and Jordan Peele for, since I was like in junior high. Like, I, I they're, they're towards the end, like the beginning of the 2000s, Mad TV mm-hmm. was kind of like falling out. But their sketches were always my fucking favorite. And That's so, why they were they were the perfect combo yeah. to go into Comedy Central. Like their their whole transition was just beautiful. So and, I, I totally have always loved them. And mm-hmm. so like to see if I saw him, I'd have been like, I love Liam Neeson too. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Yup. I would have just like yeah. tried to do like a handshake with him, like some something <laughs> because I would I would have just been like, I fucking love you, dude. <laughs> Okay, so when we talked about, oh, we need to talk about Titus Adromedon. I know that's not his Titus name. Burgess. Nope. He's amazing. Nope. Adromedon. <laughs> yes. Titus Adromedon from the Unbreakable Kitty Shit. Pinot Noir. Guiding Star. Pinot Noir. Malamar. Malamar. <laughs> Pinot Noir. Life Size Car. Life Size Car. Okay, so the very first time. You know that who I... your true friends are. <laughs> Oh my god, you know all the words. I love that. I I love Titus. Titus is one of my favorite characters. I mean, I'm a really big Tina Fey fan. So I'm a huge... We both are Tina Fey. We both are big, huge Tina Fey fans. But definitely, and he is the best part of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He, like, makes it. He is he literally absolutely. why I watch the show. Kimiko is just so good. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. Um, but uh, he started off on Broadway. He had like a be- he has a beautiful high tenor voice. He had and he's just a singer and ter- and huge entertainer. This is his first big feature film. Film, yes. Uh, that's I, why it's huge for him and that's why it was yeah. beautiful to see him in interviews being so humbled and being like i had an incredible time learning on this experiment yeah. like experience thank you so much for having me he he is just classy and it's beautiful Bitch. i follow him on instagram i'm obsessed i do too i'm obsessed he's a five time uh five time emmy nominated for Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy, like I said, he makes Kimmy Schmidt. The very first time that I realized who he was, was him doing the voice of Sebastian on The Little Mermaid, a Broadway mm-hmm. uh, show. And that's the very first time that I knew who he was because I, yes. Little Mermaid is probably my favorite Disney princess other than Princess mm-hmm. Tiana. And, and, uh, I've always wanted to see the Broadway show. I haven't been able to, but he is the original Sebastian. So he's on the soundtrack. So I have known who he was for some time. I really, really super love that him and Tina Fey have such a going back relationship because she casted him in 30 Rock. She did. As she's, Tracy Jordan's wife's best friend. He's part of their like fucking real house or whatever. Like crew. <laughs> <laughs> Until payday. 
until what's payday. Her, what's her? What's her? It's line? my way till payday. It's my way till payday. So good. And he's his name is Titus in that too. Regardless, no matter what, he just goes by his first name as all well as his character's name as well. It's so funny to me. I know he's like a Will Smith in Fresh Prince, man. He's like, yeah. let's just keep my name out there. In, in, in the Titus middle. is just so good. Titus Andromedon. Titus. 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 I even I like where it. he does like the Japanese woman, like the geisha, the geisha play. Did you ever see that one? Kamiko. Yeah, no. Kamiko, he does it so yeah. respectfully and like because beautifully. Ugh. It's it's and borderline. It's <laughs> there it is borderline for sure, but it is very respectful. The whole point is that he feels like she is a character she is a part of his past life regression. Past life, yeah. And that that was actually who he was at a time, and it's during his one man show that he does. <laughs> it does a great job, and I love him. I love his character. Um, I think he he shines really well in this film. He is always like the support to uh, Eddie Murphy. Like he's always there. He's just like, no, you did great. Like you were amazing. He kind of has a little toned down character in this. Yeah, and it's cool. It's cool. It you know he's going to show his his as a range for sure. But his character in the show was definitely a gay man, and his mm-hmm. character in real life was also a very flamboyant gay man that yes. you know spread his love all around, and the hmm. people who hung out in Dolomites or Rudy's crew knew and just. We're okay with it, which I also love being that it's the 70s and black men being gay is definitely not Wesley Snipe to Wong Fu up in this bitch. Like, no, yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's not as accepted as it is now. So I appreciate yeah. it. So, Titus Defon, we love you. No, a drama Don, bitch. He's amazing, and I'm sure we're going to see him very much in the future. Yes, uh, seeing him in this cast, I was super happy. Um, yeah. It was a great, I was like, oh my God, he's getting his. He's getting his. I know. When you see him walk on it, like, it, it's very rushed because he's late for work, obviously. And, yeah. and he's just like, oh, good. And you're just like, oh my God, that's him. And he's not traditionally as you see him, but it's still him. And he's, I think he's great. I'm so happy that he's doing works I, I just love him as an actor and i'm happy to see him doing work oh my god yes so good let's do our famous little white boy i mean he has a he has a really good imdb like he's not an unknown which is pretty oh, cool god, no. yeah this kid cody smith mcphee mm-hmm. uh he's an australian actor which was really really fun and and really neat he plays most notably when i saw him i recognized him as playing in the x-men apocalypse and he's Nightcrawler. Oh, I thought him as uh, the road. He's like the little boy, right? It it was a good one, but that's probably the first thing that I've seen him in. I mean, but you're right; he definitely was in X Man. Uh, yeah, that's the thing I recognized him from. I was like, "Oh, dude, it's Nightcrawler. That's fucking crazy!" Like, I did not notice cl- him as Nightcrawler because he has a bunch of makeup on and stuff, so I can't really like. Well, see his it. face. The, no offense. I'm not trying to say that like his facial features and and his body type attracted not attracted me but like made me first recognize him but he has a very unique bone structure that made me like very he's very striking yeah he was straight up like a art student kid it don't yeah he fixed like i said i love his introduction where he's like uh nick is my name and uh ucl it's a 
school I go to. Like, he's just so, so <laughs> off. And I just, like, it's love so it. Funny. I'm like, you're trying, but, you, you know, you, that's not your forte. And, yeah. you know, he was trying in this movie. Like, his character, mm-hmm. he ended up being pretty much the director and the head of, like, fucking everything. <laughs> I know. He really just, like, took on the responsibility. He's like, okay, we're doing this now. Like, that's kind of what you do, though. Yeah. Yeah. But a uh, uh, fun fact, though, about this film, that even though it's... It, it, to get this film made, it was absolutely crazy, but the whole set, the stint of filming was only 17 days. They filmed it in 17 days? They filmed it in 17 days. Holy the Dolmenite shit! Movie. Yeah. Wait, wait. The original movie. The original movie. Okay, yes. I didn't know that. I thought you were talking about this movie. I was like, how the fuck oh, did they no, make I'm this so sorry. Oh, my God, no. Days. Oh, my God, that'd be crazy. No, 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 no. I'm so sorry. No, no but he made first... it 17 days spread out across, like, a couple weeks. And, like, you know, like... and But these people were spending, like, between, like, 12 and 18 hours a day filming. Hours a day. <laughs> Dude, like, more than that. Like, yeah. Some of them just were staying at the hotel crashing as well. Like every, It was unbelievable when I was reading about this. I was like, oh, my God. The original only took 17 days to film. Like, boom. I mean, think was. about, like, the um, like this, the scene where uh, Rudy is doing the scene with, like, the warden or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to set you free. And then, like, he's like, oh, man, that was real. Like, I could feel it. <laughs> You know, and he's like telling him, like, when are we going to see this movie? I can't wait to see this movie. When are we going to see this movie? He's talking about his own movie. His own movie. And then, like, Wesley Snipes is like, cut. Cut. You know, like, so he is so green to even making movies that he doesn't even know that he can't even, like, talk until they say cut. (laughs) It's so cute. It's It's so so cute. It's so real and, like, so, like, honest as a filmmaker. Because uh, I feel like I would be the same way, too, when I make my own first film. I'm just going to be like, ah, this is so exciting. Oh, my God. Can I tell you a sad, f- a s- sad fact? No, sad fact. Here we go. Okay. So, in making the original Dolomite, for it to receive the R rating, they had to cut some scenes out. So, there's, like, okay. a sex scene that is, like chopped and there's a uh the very scene in scene where he dolomite pulls out willie green's guts in the Ooh. movie and we see and he's like, ah and he's like holding all the guts and you know yeah. then they're like cut am i done okay good bye see you at the fucking whatever and he bounces and he's like dragging the guts um, <laughs> yeah the intestine <laughs> <laughs> so funny so that part was cut from the original film of the movie the, to get the R rating, they were not allowed to show all of the guts. So when you initially uh, end up going to watch this movie, when it comes to the part where Willie Green is getting debiled by fucking Donald it's going to be a very harsh and hard cut to something else. Um, there's quite a few of these in the movie that just like cut for no reason and you don't really realize what's going on because... Mm-hmm. They had to do it to receive their R rating. Now, the ah. sad part about this is, is that when eventually Rudy had to be moved out of the hotel, he could not afford or could not take the negatives and, you know, other extra film with him when he left. 
So all oh, of no. that was thrown away. So we will never get to have like a uncut version of this movie oh, because so the film sad. was thrown away. Isn't that the That's worst? So sad, sad oh, facts. I know. That's it, terrible. And I saw that and I was like, oh, another oh, one of these fucking movies that were just thrown away and we'll never get to have and we'll, we'll never get it. to see it. We'll never no. get to see it. It's gone. Wow. It's gone. It's gone. That's there will never terrible. be an unrated uh director's cut of this movie. Ever. That's so upsetting. That's terrible. Unless a trash man realized what it was and kept it. That's like the only thing I could think of, but other than that, it's gone. <laughs> wow, that sucks. I'm so, I'm so sad about that. Me too. Good film, good film wasted, my man. But we have a good movie. It's it's all good. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, I need you to see the original and then get back to me and tell me. What I you can't think. wait. I can't wait to watch it. It is extremely. I was Amateur cracking up at the... It's funny oh, like But that's my favorite. That's like my favorite is when it's just like silly, honest, truthful, and it's so dated, and you're just like... expect. I'm expecting it to be so dated. Yes. I mean, they but even talk saw... about like Nixon, and they're like, Nixon is out here stealing money from America! And you're like, oh, uh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. You don't even know we have to deal with a fucking Trump who's like sending proud boys to like... Attack the Capitol. That's where we're at. Fuck Nixon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. Oh my god. Um. Do you want to hear a little bit of the cameos that we got? Yeah. Show me some cameos. So there are many of people in this movie who credit their career or love their career to Rudy Ray Moore, and mm-hmm. some of them just end up just kind of doing cameos in the movies. So we have Snoop Dogg. He plays the DJ that works in Dolphin of Hollywood's record store. Who Rudy begs to play his song, even though he won't until, you know, Rudy is now Dolomite being fucking famous and shit. And he still plays a digga-da-ding-dong. Ring, (laughs) ding-dong, digga-da-ding-dong. That makes me laugh every time. It's still hot. That's still a hot track. It's still a hot track. You know, they used to call down to the to the hospital and be like, oh, no, Rudy's playing this song again. You know, get ready. Get ready. We have T.I. He does a small cameo in this movie as one of the producers for another company that turns down doing this movie. So funny. Yeah. Then we have Lunell, who is a hilarious comedian i've known her for a long time since uh i believe she's in the queen of comedies i think she's oh in queen yeah of comedies yeah she's in queen of comedies she's hilarious comedies i'm losing it i'm okay. losing it we're right almost now, done dude. we're almost done i know um and she's just hilarious she plays yeah uh rudy's aunt i love their scene where he's like asking her for money and he's like oh, kind of joking her he's like Daddy, why are you so fucking stingy then <laughs> give me the money woman woman give me the goddamn money <laughs> And he pulls a knife on her. <laughs> it was so funny. And she definitely gives him the money. This is actually true to the movie. His aunt or some family member gave him money. And he mm-hmm. does pay them back once he, you know, made his money on the records. Because he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a good man. We have Tasha Smith. She also does a cameo. She plays uh, the wife. When are you going to pay Jimmy Lynch's wife? Jimmy Lynch's When are you going to pay my husband? You know he doesn't work for free. And he's like, uh, uh, woman, <laughs> like he's all mad that she's like talking. I know. Why are you yes. blowing him up like that? I absolutely love her. She is. I do too. 
we also have Chris Rock. He plays the radio DJ who keeps berating him about his movie. Like, when's your movie coming out? How can yeah. I see it? You got to tell me something. And when, you know. Turns off the air and he's like, I'm trying to help you, motherfucker. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? Yeah, I'm trying to help you. And he does help him by uh, giving him his, his cousin's, cousin's number, who uh, was managing a movie theater. So, you know, it helped him out to get to his very first screening. And then we also have a uncredited appearance by Bob O'Dirt. O'Dunkirk? O'Dunkirk, yes. Better Call I Saul. Am better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. He call- and Better Call Saul calls Rudy and it was like, hey girl, you like on the charts, your movie is like blowing up. Let us distribute this shit. Dude, yeah. He's uncredited. I don't know why you wouldn't want to take part in this movie as credited. You do have a good enough part. Is it a payment? Maybe it's just something about being paid. I don't know. I could see him doing like a good deed like that or something. He's I such a good guy. That. I've seen him. And he's a comedian himself. He's a comedian, yeah. So I, I feel like he probably had definitely heard about Rudy Ray Moore in his travels. Hopefully kind of did this movie as a tribute along with, you know, people like Snoop Dogg and Chris Rock, who I'm sure could have done it for free if you really, really, really asked him. Like, come on, Snoop Dogg, I can't pay your ass, but do you want to be a DJ for like two days? Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So those are a little bit of the cameos that we uh, had in this movie. So I'm going to give you one more fun fact. You ready? Yeah, give it to me. Okay. So this movie that we're watching is about Rudy making his first movie, which would be Dolomite. But it's mm-hmm. not the scenes that we see in the process of him making this movie. It's not necessarily all from that movie, which I did find out yesterday when I actually watched the original movie. Mm, there it is. So some of the scenes in this movie that we literally arrive and laugh about is the scene where they're running from the cops and they do the police cop chase. (laughs) That is not from Dolomite the movie. The scene where Dolomite flees the house after having sex with the white woman and he's like, Mm -hmm. bitch, are you for real? I love that line. (laughs) I love that line too. So that line and the him, you know, jumping off of the whatever he's jumping off of and it's like instant replay or whatever, that's not from a dolomite and the um exploding car is not from dolomite that's my cousin's car that's my cousin's car yeah (laughs) not from dolomite and the crazy sex scene where the pictures are moving on the wall and the ceiling is coming down all of that that is also not from dolomite it's from the one that you said that you wanted to see the human tornado so okay that is what all of those extra ones are from so now that i know that that's the next one that i have to find and watch uh because i definitely want to see the sex scene with the ceiling falling down me too i really want to watch it (laughs) like i really want to watch it it looks so, I mean, we got to see raw footage. I mean, I saw one of the videos on YouTube, but I want to see it in its, like, full grand scheme. It has to be so funny. Put your weight on it. Put your weight on it. Yeah, so all of those oh are not necessarily from the Dolomite movies, but they're from that movie and that they wanted to add those scenes in to kind of show you. From what I hear in the making of this movie, in the real tale of this movie, about 90% of the stuff is pretty accurate, but there is so much to the story of making this movie and Rudy Ray Moore in itself that they couldn't even put everything 
in this movie. That's that's mm-hmm. the crazy part. Is that like we only know like the tip of the iceberg of like the shit that he had to go through. I do want to say that he was not like a lot of black men. Like he does mention, you know, black people come up with some art and then the white person comes, takes it, it takes yeah. money off it, which is a thousand percent true. Absolutely. But I'm happy to say that Rudy Ray Moore, you know, died with about $3 million in his estate. So he was not a wanting for nothing. You know, mm-hmm. he, he died with at least $3 million worth of assets. That's pretty amazing, especially for a black man of that time. That's all I got. There's that little uh, super cool fun fact. Oh, you got one? Give it to me. When they're showing you his, uh, he's doing his first ever screening when he buys out the theater and he tries to promote people and they're showing you the scenes. They actually used real footage from the actual film to make up those scenes, but they digitally changed it, Eddie Murphy's cameos in it to make look like he was in the movie during that time but he really wasn't yeah you obviously. should definitely go back and but watch the movie the other characters the are actually the original movie original. clip characters the, so when it's like when he yells at her like that bitch are you for real like bitch that's are him. you for and real that's real that's eddie murphy that's him saying it but the girl who responds he may and the dude it. who shot that shoots at him yeah, that's the real that was footage. from the real movie yeah that was i always thought that was i thought that was really cool i was like oh I, that's neat i think that they did mm-hmm. a great job in this movie if you've never seen this movie it is a netflix original movie is very good i think that you should watch it it's funny and if you're a film student or a film buff this is a great way to show you you know the beginnings of independent films it's well appreciated i say watch the original as well which i found on youtube but just give it a watch it's pretty funny yeah. and i think that you should watch boom edition so you can see all of the <laughs> people holding the booms and i think that that makes it even more funnier if you're a film person the story is just so inspiring he like he really inspires me so are you ready i'm ready for Z for the people. Uh, yes. Woo. All right. Z for the people. So today we are going to talk about the Black House Foundation, which was co-founded in 2006. And it is a foundation that helps Black crea- creative voices and executives gain better footing, a foothold in the industry. So they help to open the door to pry the door open for other black artists to tell their stories. We showcase the best of the best in the film and television and commercial and is committed to highlighting the powerful, the power of black writers, producers, directors, and executives telling our stories. And so what they do is they help do workshops and they help to mentor you and get you into the industry because the industry is completely hard and it's always about who you know and mm-hmm. the majority of the people who you know are white people so if you don't know white people you don't know anybody but this foundation helps in our community of black people to connect with other black people who are doing things and this just connects you with other people and help you with relationships in the industry which as a personal black person i am definitely looking into this because i would love to be mentored this is just something that 
I think that if you are a black artist or you're an artist in general and you want to be able to donate to the minorities who aren't getting their voices out there, this is a great place for you. It's called The Black House. So if you go to theblackhouse.org, you can donate your time, donate your money. And if you need your help to get your black ass in the industry, this is where you need to go hook up. That is my Z for the people. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We Good did on. it, girl. We did it. We did it. Dolomite is my name. And fucking up motherfuckers is my game. Fuck yeah. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find us? Put some weight on it. Put some weight on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for drinking with me. Thank you for drinking with me and talking with and me. Ev- and talking with me. Everybody, thanks for listening. Obviously, you've checked in with us, but you can check us out in a lot of different other places. Mention us to your friends. We're on uh, so many programs. Pod Bean, of course. You can check us out. Flossed in Paradise. In paradise. <laughs> Just kidding. Podparadise.com. Go check them out. Uh, Player FM, Altail.com, uh, Spotify, of course. You can check us out on all, all every place you listen to podcasts. We're on there. So spread the word. Tell your friends. We love you. We love hearing from you. Don't forget, we're always looking to hear some close encounters and uh, great Hollywood stories. Just email Z at Lights Camera Cocktail. No S. Get the S out of here. At gmail.com and uh, check us out on all of our social medias uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. <laughs> We're making some great cocktail videos for our TikTok, so go ahead and check us out. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, you guys. You really effing rock. Yeah. You motherfucking rock, you motherfuckers. You motherfucking rock, you motherfucker. All right, we, so we did it. We made it. Do you want to? Tell everybody what movie we're doing next week. So the month of March, we have decided to dedicate to sequels, 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 sequels. Better than the originals? We're just going to have to find out. (gasps) Oh, like controversial. I mean, yes, I'm down for these sequels, but we are about to do. Die Hard with a Vengeance, bitch. Yeah. With the other motherfucker who says motherfucker. Motherfucker. Oh, God. And this one's so good. I love this movie. I don't care what I anybody fucking says. I love this movie. Die Hard with no, a Vengeance is my favorite Die Hard. It is my favorite Die Hard for sure. I've watched it so many more times than any other Die Hard. Any other Die Hard. Come back next week while we, you know, drink and talk about Die Hard. Uh, thank you, audience, for drinking with us and listening to us. But please, return back next week for another episode of Lights, Camera, Cocktails! <laughs> Put some weight on it! <laughs> Put some weight on it! <laughs>